Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Dalman here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review Power Struggle, preview Battle in the Valley, Best Super Junior, and World Tag League, answer listener questions, and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only Browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing so good. It's great to be back on the ASA podcast, keeping a strong style. And, uh, you know, Jeremy, uh, the, the audience at home, they can't see us, but they can hear us, obviously. But you, you, we're on a video chat. You can see me. And, you know, I know that, you know, I'm not one for wrestling merch necessarily, but check out this authentic new <laughs> Brian Danielson T-shirt. Is this is this shit not fly or what? Yeah, man. Just, just, just like he wears every week on TV, bro. You got, you got the, the plain white. It, it's crisp, I, uh, authentic. <laughs> Crispy as fuck, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Just like D-Bry. Yeah. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Yo, I loved on um, One Nation Radio this week, uh, James kept calling him Bryanson. Yeah, he's been doing that for a couple weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed Bryanson. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so yeah, uh, things are good. Dropped. Uh, I finally reached the the um, you know marker point. I'm down twenty pounds since uh, late June, early July. It's about five pounds a month, so right on pace. You know, ahead. Are you trying to get down to two oh five? Actually, yeah, I, I've been two oh five before, and I thought it was a good weight for me. Um, you know, so yeah, that might not be bad. Nice. Could be a uh, next cruiserweight champ. The other thing too, well, actually, I don't think that's the funny thing. Like two hundred five in in terms of professional wrestling sounds small, <laughs> because you know, um, you know, two hundred five. But then I think of guys like John Jones is two hundred five. That's the light heavyweight limit in the UFC. So you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like two hundred five is not small. Right. <laughs> it's like Chuck Liddell and. Tito Ortiz and guys like that. Right. I mean, also there's a difference in like a, a Jack 205 and then like a skinny indie geek 205. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's funny. Like, I'm not thinking of like Tozawa. I'm thinking of like <laughs> <laughs> Glover Teixeira, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and trust me, like, I, it doesn't matter if I, 205 on my frame is still not small. Yeah. Like, once, once I'm down to, like, 170-ish, 180, like, that welterweight middleweight level, that's when you're talking about, like, a, you know, pretty drained, you know, weight. But, um, yeah. Uh, one thing before we get into the show, I know we got a lot to discuss this week, but uh, why don't you uh, tell the, the, the kids at home how you uh, didn't like the French Dispatch? <laughs> Listen, man, this, that first time seeing a Wes Anderson movie, my girlfriend – fan of his movies really wanted to see it so me being the the ace of boyfriends and and you know being the ace of boyfriends <laughs> oh my God. you know being the bay face that i am took her to go see the french ditch patch and you know what i, I just it just wasn't my thing guys I, I i thought cinematography was great the shots are great you know very well edited together uh movie good music but the story i just i, I, I wasn't you know this wasn't keeping up with it was it wasn't for me it's not for you, baby. It wasn't for me, baby. Uh, and so you'd never seen Wes Anderson before. Uh, how did the girlfriend feel about it? She liked it. Oh, she liked it. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense because, like, you know, young boy over here, gigantic Wes Anderson, like, fan. I've seen just about – I still haven't seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I've seen everything else that he's made. And yeah, I love his shit. And uh, yeah, I was I was surprised not only to hear that you didn't like it, but every single individual in our entire group chat, which is uh, you know about eight or nine individuals, all hate Wes Anderson. Like I can't even fathom not liking Wes Anderson. Like to me, that's like on par of being like, yeah, I just don't like those Tanahashi uh, Okada <laughs> matches. They're not really my thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, I, yeah, I I saw a fresh this yo. So here's here's uh, a tip for everyone listening: if you live near an AMC, do yourself a favor. AMC A list. It's like twenty bucks a month, right? And for twenty bucks a month, you get to go and see literally every, or you get to see three free movies a week, plus tons of other perks and um you know, like uh, amenities and things like that. But I mean, if you think about it, 
Bro, if you're just going to see a movie for yourself, what, twice a month, you're already spending more than $20, right? right. This is my sales pitch. <laughs> so, you know, you can go up to 12 times per month. You don't have to, but even if you just went three times or four times, it's well worth the cost. And I mean, bro, I've been seeing everything that's come out. I've, I've seen like The Last Duel, the Tammy Faye movie, freaking, you know, Green Knight. I've seen a bunch of stuff. And uh, yeah, I got to see French Dispatch. So, you know, if you guys get a chance, go out, get that AMC A-list, 20 bucks, you know, well worth it. But uh, yeah, man, French Dispatch was a masterpiece. Um, I freaking loved it. I'm I'm shocked that you didn't like it. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand the gimmick. Maybe I need to go go back and, and watch some some previous Wes Anderson to maybe get a better understanding or perspective of, of his style and what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to go and watch one that maybe Moonrise Kingdom, maybe uh, Royal Tenenbaums, might, those might be good, like, uh, introductory films. But, you know, the masterpiece, the one that, generally speaking is considered like his best film is uh grand budapest hotel so i mean you know if if you want to get like if you want to see like the omega okada four <laughs> west anderson <laughs> films that's the one and then that can kind of tell you like if this is for you or not all right well I'll, I'll try and find some time in between uh world tag league and uh best super juniors to, to fit that in <laughs> yeah y- y- you could do it you could probably watch it while you're watching World Tag. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought this week wasn't going to be too busy, but a lot of stuff has, uh, you know, come up and we had a lot of listener questions this week. So I'm pretty excited to sort of dive into this stuff. Yeah. So uh, first thing we got to talk about is power struggle. And we did have a question here from Reddit user Japanese NJ fan says I was at the power struggle show and he linked a picture from his seat it says, and yes, it was 50% capacity. The places behind the Tron were usually tarped, but this time they let fans in tarped areas. The crowd was also awesome. There was audible cheers during the matches. The atmosphere was great there, but how about World? Did you guys hear the audible cheers while watching online? Uh, I would say no. Um, I mean, not to say that there weren't sometimes where maybe you could hear the audience, but, um, I mean, I, I didn't, it didn't come off to me. Like it was a vocal crowd. It seemed very much still like a clap crowd. It, I don't know what, what it feel like to you. Yeah, absolutely agree. I, I thought it was one of the, you know, quote unquote, I guess quieter clap crowds. Like I didn't get a ton of energy. Like I've we've gone from some other like Osaka crowd. And so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of like maybe even quieter, maybe just a normal, uh, clap crowd. I didn't really hear a ton of cheering. Like we've heard in some other cities. Yeah, but um, you know, glad to hear that you got to attend the show. Uh, we're gonna do our review of the show, but you know, thought the show overall was very good, uh, incredible main event, and uh, yeah, um, it, you know, congratulations. I I would like to attend a show in Japan. <laughs> yeah, me too. Maybe one day we'll make it over there. We'll hang out with uh, Reddit user Japan Japanese NJ fan. Yo, <laughs> New Japan needs to stop playing and uh, you know, give us the bag. You know, write us a check with the freaking line mark on it and uh, bring us over, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, give us that Obari money. Yeah, CTC. <laughs> Cut the check. Uh, next question here from Dom Homie 101 Thoughts on the return of the pre-COVID match card that took place at Power Struggle? So, 
like we previewed last week, first card uh, since pandemic, nine matches. So we had you know several undercards. What do you think about uh, New Japan returning for to a full nine match card? Um, I mean, this probably goes right into our preview. So I mean, we can kind of just start off with that talking point. Um, overall, for the show, I liked the pace and energy of it. You know, there was a not only meaningful matches and a diversity of different styles on display, but you also sort of had your early kind of opener, you know, fast paced tag matches, none of them really overstayed their welcome. So, you know, it just kind of felt like uh, a little bit of normalcy sort of, you know, reintroduced to the product, which I, you know, I thought was refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt, you know, kind of like going back to old times, you know, this, this nine match card, you start off with your, your long, young lines and, you know, you build up, you, you know, we always kind of praise new Japan for their, uh, you know, big show structure. They start off the young lines and they gradually build to the best match on the card. And that was definitely what was done here for Power Struggle. Like you mentioned, I thought it was paced out very well. I didn't think any match overstayed their welcome. And so overall, it was a really solid show. I mean, if we had a, a full crowd that was clapping and cheering and going crazy like they would, like this could potentially be a show of the year candidate. Um, I mean, for me, I will have to discuss, we, we started talking about the awards this week. We have not done show of the year, but I don't see why this wouldn't be a contender at this point. Yeah. Considering I mean, definitely could. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about that off air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think it's uh, worth considering. I don't know if it's going to make the cut or not. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, I saw your list. That's pretty extensive. I'm assuming that that list is, uh, not necessarily what you want to have. Uh, nominated, but just sort of the candidates. Yeah, I just threw some candidates on there. I'll see there. There will be some locks, but I was just kind of doing some research on cage match and just kind of what I remember. I got this feeling that like we might even want to just cut that entire thing down to like four or five shows, just because there doesn't seem to be enough shows to actually warrant consideration this year. You know what I mean? Right, and I'm totally cool with that. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anything. Oh, absolutely. So we'll talk about that off air, but um. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Power Struggle was this past Saturday, November 6th, 4 a.m. Eastern Time on NJPW World. Uh, I watched uh, the majority of the show in um, Japanese with the original broadcast, but kind of broke up my viewing of the show. I think I caught the last three or four matches with English commentary with Kevin Kelly. Um, A little disappointed not getting um, Chris Charlton on the call, at least just for some of the uh, translations, but overall, you know, good, good show. And uh, did you watch all this in Japanese? Yep. I watched it all Japanese Saturday morning. I didn't get up at four, but I did watch it. I got up like around like eight or nine and watched it uh, on world Japanese commentary. Yeah. I think, I, I think we've been a little spoiled. I've gotten used to just having the English commentary readily available, right, right at the get go, you know? Right. Yeah. And especially like during G1, obviously having, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton for most of the shows, having both of them as there. I mean, we've kind of got spoiled over the last you know two months and just having live English right away. But uh, the first match of the night, uh, we had the Suzuki Goon tag team of Doki and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. They defeated the team of uh, Kosei Fujita and uh, Ryohei Oiwa. Four minutes, thirty three seconds, short and sweet. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, Doki never even tagged into the match. I don't think I picked up on that. Yeah, Kenamaru started and finished the <laughs> shit. Like, Doki had an easy night, and he got paid. 
yeah, took took the night off there. Kanamaru slapped a Boston Crab on Fujita to get the submission win here for the Sukigun team. So very short young line opener. Obviously, we didn't get to see much of Fujita and Oiwa here, but it was enough to get them a little little ring time, a little experience here. Yeah, off the air, me and Jeremy were uh, like I mentioned, we're working on awards, and we noticed yesterday looking on Cage Match, these guys quietly have racked up 22 matches apiece already. Uh, many of those were during the uh, Power Struggle Tour that were not recorded for tape. So there, there's not that many matches available on World, but even still, you think about like the first tour they came in for, and then the G1, and then Power Struggle Tour, and I mean. You know, these guys have already kind of become fuck fixtures in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, it's crazy. When you said that 22 matches, like, <laughs> I was taken back a little bit. But, yeah, these guys, are they're rocking it. They're killing it. And, yeah, they're, they're going to get a ton of more matches coming up on this uh, Super Junior Tag League tour as well. So, I mean, these guys are well on their way to, you know, being top young lines. And not only that, it's not just 22 matches, period. But it's like you think about the time. We're talking, like, what, two, three months it's a lot of work in a short period of time. <laughs> like these guys are definitely getting like a, a you know, experience and education, like hands on in short order, you know? Right. But uh, yeah, that we'll get that out of the way. So the second match of the night, we had a six man tag team action as the bull club team of ghetto Jado and Tangaloa. They defeated the great bash heel team of Makabe and Hanma teaming along with tiger mask five minutes, seven seconds. Again, short, and sweet, which, man, that that feels refreshing, dude. Yeah, and this match ended pretty much the way we said it was last week with uh, Tangaloa hitting a, a ape shit on Hanuma, you know, the one guy you probably wouldn't want to see hit that move with his uh, neck injuries. But looks like it was safe. I'll see Tangaloa picking up some momentum for World Tag League. Yeah, and I could tell coming out of this, Gato and Jado, they're gearing up to uh, challenge for those uh, junior tag team titles. So. You know, old's on top. Yeah, 2021, old's on top. I mean, <laughs> Tiger Mask is one half of the junior tag champs right now. So these guys are looking for their shot. Uh, the third match of the night, uh, the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, and Sonata, they defeated the team of Master Wato, Ryuzuki Taguchi, and Yuji Nagata, seven minutes, five seconds. Um, interesting kind of mashup here because you have fan favorite team in LIJ, sort of like tweeners, but, you know, going head to head with, uh, Hantai unit. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's sort of feels like it's been a while since we've seen like these two groups really face off and, you know, sort of like that, you know? Yeah. And we've, we have seen some, uh, Hiromu and Taguchi kind of facing off the last uh, couple of weeks and both of them kind of doing their, Mongolian chop <laughs> impressions on each other. Yeah, um, I didn't watch all that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, interesting. Yeah, Lij Huntai here and again. This was this was a fine match. Seven minutes. Uh, also, you know, Hiromu and Bushi they're getting ready for Best Super Junior. Sonata getting ready for Tag League. Wato and Deguchi also getting ready for Super Juniors. And Nagata will also uh, be in World Tag League. So there's a little preview match these guys mix it up. Nothing special out of this world. Um, Sonata. I, I guess that kind of makes sense there. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, why are these guys all fighting each other? It's just, you know, it's just sort of happening. I mean, you know, good on them to get some work for all these guys and a paycheck. But, uh, you know, the match was fine. Um, I do have thoughts about Hiromu Takahashi's uh, shorts. I'm not a big fan. Yeah, we haven't really talked about them on the show yet. He's, he busted out the shorts uh, recently. New look here. 
Uh, I mean, I don't hate them, but I, I think I might prefer the the long pants. They just scream like mid two thousands, two thousand ten ish, like Shindy Puro attire. Like they remind <laughs> me of something like Bad Boy Hino would wear, or something like that. Or they kind of gave me like mid nineties, like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the movie vibes, <laughs> like something that like one of the goons that like uh, you know what's the guy with the mask? Uh, Casey. Uh, yeah, some like some some like douchebag that like Casey would beat up at a nice rink, you know. Yeah. Some some bad guy like with like white shorts and like spray paint, or <laughs> or you know what? Maybe like one of the goons from like one of those '90s uh, Batman movies, like Batman and Robin. <laughs> do, you, do you remember like when those movies were really like everything was like blacklight, blacklight like paint and stuff was like a big deal and there's like a lot of movies where there are scenes with like blacklight and that, that's what his shorts look like. Like they would just like fucking glow if he showed up at like Astro Skate or something like that, you know? Well, hey, maybe he was watching some of that stuff to get some inspiration. Yeah, but they, it looks shitty. Like, I don't know. His gear before, I liked his gear before just because like, you know, it was unique to him plus it sort of had a little bit of that lucha vibe. Now he just kind of looks, I don't know, grimier? I don't know. I don't know. It looks less like a star. It's a downgrade. <laughs> well, you know, maybe he doesn't want to continue to outshine the rest of the division. Maybe he's trying to make an even playing field. He's still outshining the rest of the division, <laughs> even with the shit. <laughs> oh, man. So that takes us to the fourth match of the night. First match of note for the evening as the chaos trio of Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. They defend their never open weight six man tag team titles against the House of Torture subunit of Evil, Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. And at 13 minutes, 46 seconds, we have new champions. Yeah, I feel this is what we all predicted with the push of House of Torture and Evil that it made a ton of sense for these guys to win the titles here. This was uh, the Chaos Units. This was their 10th uh, defense um, to try to get 10 defenses here, but failed. And, you know, it's the end of a historic, you know, never six-man run. These guys did an excellent job defending the titles. Uh, this match was fine. Also, I don't think it was the, the best defense that these guys have had. Uh, but it wasn't completely um, egregious. I mean, there was it was littered with the normal evil tropes. I mean, you had a ref bump earlier on, so evil and Togo could do the, the magic killer on Yoshihashi. There was um, an exposed turnbuckle that uh, Yoshihashi uh, ran into it towards the beginning. Um, several teases of the everything is evil throughout the match. Togo at one point jumps up and chokes uh, Yujiro with the wire. Um, he had, uh, or excuse me, Yoshihashi with the wire. He had Yujiro attempting to use his pimp cane throughout the match. Uh, Show attempting to use a chair. So definitely a ton of kind of the, the evil trope, Togoism tropes here. Um, the chaos team, they were about to win the match, uh, towards the end that Yoshihashi go to hit their big double team move, but they pulled Togo, pulled the ref out right before he hit three double low blow on Yoshihashi and Goto. And then, uh, we get to the finish here where, uh, show, uh, hits Yoshihashi with a wrench. Evil hits. Everything is evil. And we have new champs. Have they ever done a ref pull out in AEW? I don't think they have. Uh, and I'm not saying that to compare the two, but, you know, I, I'm the reason I'm asking is because, to me, there's maybe nothing as egregious as 
anyone, no matter who it is, pulling the ref out and it not resulting in immediate disqualification of any sort. And the idea that some sort of overseeing board or body of directors or management group for, you know, like, like let's say if this is the UFC and someone attacked one of the referees, <laughs> you know, that Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta wouldn't like, you know, fucking make heads roll over that shit, you know? Yeah. Like that just like a ref bump is inadvertent, but like someone pulling. <laughs> Yeah, like that is like the one of the worst like North American professional wrestling tropes that you see it's all the time worst. in WWE, and yeah, you, you pull the ref out. Like at that point, if a ref gets pulled out, I think it should be a disqualification. Like the next ref should come out and disqualify whoever pulled the, the ref out, and the match should be over. There's a pretty famous match from uh, Shuto, or not from Shuto, but from uh, Valley Tudo Japan '97. It's a uh, Frank Shamrock versus Ensign Anui. And uh, the deal was the winner of this match was going to face uh, Kevin Jackson in the UFC for the, this was back in the day when like promotions didn't necessarily work together, but the sport was so fledgling. They kind of interacted a lot more, but uh, the winner of this event was going to go on to face Kevin Jackson for the middleweight title in the UFC, which the middleweight belt is what we now refer to as the light heavyweight belt. Mm. And um, it was also famous because like Ken Shamrock was a pancreas wrestler or a fighter, you know, and then you had Ensign Anui who sort of represented Shuto. And those two companies were like, literally that was like WWF and WCW. They hated each other. This is all before pride. So they're like the top two shoot promotions out there, you know, but it was a huge deal that they're fighting each other. And um, about 20 minutes into the match, uh, fucking Frank Shamrock gets Mount on Ensign Inouye. And Ensign Inouye's brother, Egan, jumps up. They're fighting in a ring. And he jumps up through the ropes and fucking runs as fast as he can and fucking, like, shoulder tackles Frank Shamrock. <laughs> he, and um, the referee tried to, like, intervene. And he gets ref bumped, like, legit. And they and then they call the match. And I'm like, see, that's how it should be. If anyone gets in the ring, no matter who it is for any reason, the fight should just immediately like the fight stops. You know what I mean? Right. But uh back to this, I don't know why I brought that up. I, I've just been waiting for my chance to uh, <laughs> sort of insert that fact. But um yeah, man, this match was fine. I mean, um I've, I'd say it's far from you know, the chaos six man epics that we've become used to, but given it's slotting on this card, it makes all the sense in the world. And yeah, there was a lot of bullshit, but at the same time, it's kind of a platform for show to kind of get some gold with this new subunit. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a attaboy to Ujiro for, uh, you know, some of the work he's done during the G1 pandemics and, you know, it, it still kind of keeps evil as like a person of um, importance while not necessarily wrapping him up in the uh, the major title scene. So I'm fine with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, they did elevate these six-man titles, but they're still the six-man titles. <laughs> right. And if you're going to have bullshit like this, this is probably the division and the titles to kind of like enwrap with that. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, I'm fine with it. it you know, we're, 
we're going to be leaving that period of classic cork and hall main events with the chaos subunit but you know who knows i mean i'd rather have this than evil challenging for for a world title or you know muddying up a g1 so it's fine yeah amen to that uh post match had a little angle here the house of torture they uh they cut the the chaos towel and they were continuing their attack on the chaos unit and then yo makes his big return big save for the chaos unit he clears the ring the new champs they bail yo in all white he immediately went after show and also that both those guys will be in best of the super juniors and will face off later in the tournament this felt like when tommy the green ranger uh <laughs> You know, he got sick, and it. we thought we were losing him as a ranger, and then he returned in the all-white joint, you know? Yeah. And, and he, and you know, came, he got rid of the fucking flute, came back with the talking sword. You Saba. Know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the gimmick's name. Yeah, it was Saba. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, um, and I, I just thought to myself, good on yo, you know? If Okada doesn't want to raise up his, uh, you know, group, uh, yo will do it you know chaos never die <laughs> actually there was literally like a good portion where he ran in and interfered you know like ran ran the interference or not interference but made the save and i just didn't even think of the fact that he is a chaos member like that didn't really occur to me <laughs> until i was like oh wait these guys are all in a team together aren't they yeah that's, i guess that's kind of cool huh like <laughs> but it wasn't re- it wasn't like something i you would think like if X Pac ran in and saved like China and Billy Gunn, you would know who the fuck they were like all representing, you know? Yeah. Well, but I didn't do that with Yo. I was just like, I don't know. He wants to get a show. Oh yeah. wait, he's he is chaos. I forgot. Yeah, mo- probably most of the focus is people thinking like Show and Yo, not even thinking like yeah, he's saving his actual unit. <laughs> yeah, but it's not even that. It's just like it. It was literally like I wouldn't even call it a secondary thought. It was like a third or fourth like level thought like i it dawned on me i maybe even after the fact I'm like, oh wait they were all together huh <laughs> so yeah that's cool and you know who knows i bet you down the road we get some sort of quasi rematch for maybe the six-man titles in the lead up to whatever's coming um that may potentially involve show and yo on opposite sides of the of six-man trios you know right so then uh, following that matchup, we had the KOPW Provisional 2021 match in the Amateur Wrestling Rules. So we had uh, Yuji Nagata coming out here and uh, explaining the rules, two, three-minute rounds, and starts you know throwing up scorecards and explaining the rules and the points. Not quite sure full exactly what they were saying because I watched it in the Japanese and I know we kind of talked about it off there. It seemed like they were kind of doing a mix of uh, folk style and freestyle scoring here. Well, for all we know, those might have been the rules for like the collegiate, uh, you know, level when it comes to Japanese right. amateur wrestling. Yeah, that could definitely be the Japanese amateur wrestling rules, but compared to like American wrestling amateur wrestling it seemed like a mix of american folk style and american freestyle well i noticed that they sort of had to make a uh an adjustment because they're wrestling in a ring and they didn't like circle off the ring and make a uh play area instead they just sort of treated the ropes as 
you know, the out of bounds essentially. So right, and it seemed like I, if you got a quote unquote takedown by the ropes, you got a point for that. So the way it was was if you pushed with your hands, like if you just pushed them out of the play area, that would cause a reset, no points. But if you had any kind of hook of any sort, you know, and I don't know if that's how it works in amateur. Like, is that how it works when you go out of, cause I've seen, I'm not a, uh, an expert on the rules of amateur wrestling, but I've seen that they wrestle in circles and they've got like the red, the blue and the yellow, that sort of thing. Right. It, it all depends. I know. And so in folks on amateur, like when you were taking them down out of bounds, it just kind of all depended on the angle of how far out they were. Most hmm. of the times they would just reset it and bring you back to the middle, depending how you took them down. Did you ever get points for it or no? No, it all depends. Like a certain amount of their body had to still be in the circle when you took them down to get a point, okay. to get a point for it. Yeah. Well, it seemed here any if you had an underhook or uh, any sort of hook at all, and you got them out, it was like I think they treated that as like a forced out, like base, like you mentioned, like almost like you were gonna take them down, but they went out of the play area essentially. Right. So that was, and then I I also noticed like you got. Uh, for that, you got like one or two points. If you got a full on takedown, I think they said you get like what, like five points. Yeah. And then um, if you were on the ground and you got a roll, like a near pin, um, that was like two points. Yeah, something like that. And then there was like points for I think for like reversal. I think you got two points for reversal. Yeah, I don't know all the rules. That's the thing. Like with amateur wrestling, I understand a lot of the techniques just from like MMA. Uh, and some training I've done and I understand a lot of the names of the moves, you know, but I don't necessarily understand the actual technical rules. Actually, I'm the same with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because uh, there's so many different leagues and stuff. I don't know all the rules of, you know, like the Mundials and stuff like that. And, you know, they all have different rule sets. I don't know how all that works. <laughs> yeah. In amateur folks, at least when I did, I don't know if they've changed it since I've been in high school, but you got, you got two points for a takedown uh, two for reversal, one for an escape, and then you got uh, points for near falls, um, and also a pin end of the match. Gotcha. Well, um, do they usually also have uh, in, in a you know in a U.S. Cl- like a high school match? Is it two three minute rounds? It's three three two minute rounds. Okay, that's pretty short. Yeah. Huh. Um. So cool. So yeah, this, uh, this match was interesting. Both guys came out full on with the, you know, in the singlet, real ass wrestling. (laughs) John Juris approved. (laughs) They came out in the singlets. Um, I don't know what, uh, great O'Conn had this giant white, like headband wrapped, like towel wrapped around his head. He had to tape his, uh, ponytail up because you're not, you're not allowed to have your hair down in wrestling. So you have long hair and you have to have it put up. See, I remember him wrestling like with a bald head, you know, (laughs) like back when he was a young lion. So I I forgot about his hair altogether. I thought it was like a fashion statement. (laughs) It's an interesting choice he made, but uh, yeah, they came out. They had a straight up amateur, like folk style wrestling match. You know, this kind of reminded me of like, some of the like 1920s tape I've seen with like Joe Stecker and Earl Caddick and guys like that. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it looked like a shoot a little bit, but not quite. Yeah. 
but yeah, interesting stuff here. Told some stories here in the, the opening round, round one. Um, definitely favored to great Ocon. He was in control uh, for more majority of this round, and he was up. He ended the round four to one. He got a takedown. Uh, he got two points towards the end of the round there, so he ended the round there four to one. And then they came back with round two with uh, Yano being down uh, three points and having to fight his way back. And uh, getting some great takedowns. He did a great uh, belly-to-belly suplex towards the end, which gave him four points and uh, put him ahead in the final 30 seconds. And then uh, Yano just kind of stalled the timeout there uh, by the end, and he ended up winning 6-5. to Yeah, and um, it was kind of interesting. It felt like I I thought they, like, told as good of a, like, quote-unquote story as you could working, you know, a legit amateur style. Um, kind of a departure from the Yano character. There's no shenanigans. There's no bullshit. Um, you know, I saw a lot of scores that were down on this, but I don't know. I thought it was like, I thought it was kind of fun and fine. Like, and it was short. It was six minutes. Right. And it was way better than what I think we all thought potentially could have happened being a ha ha kind of jokey and, you know, Yano finding a way to do a roll up and gimmicks and all this stuff. Do you remember that time when um, uh, Earthquake wrestled Yokozuna in a sumo wrestling match on Raw? Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's this in some ways kind of reminded me of that, but also that was more bullshit than this was. Like <laughs> they really worked this, like like for real. Yeah. Um, we have some questions here. Dom Homie one one asked, "What are your guys' thoughts on the amateur wrestling match that took place at Power Struggle between Yano and Okan?" Do you guys want to see another amateur wrestling match in the near future? Well, like we said, I thought, thought this was uh, pretty good here for, for being an amateur wrestling match. Obviously, Okan and Yano are, you know, they have that skill set. And if we were to see it again in the near future, I would like it to be with guys like Yano and Okan, uh, Nagata, these guys that have this uh, shoot amateur background and can make it look good. Yeah, um, you know, there's a part of me that like sort of quasi loves that Inokiism shit. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, we got an exhibition match the other week with uh, ZSJ and Shibata. Now we're getting an uh, amateur style wrestling, you know, folk style match with uh, Okan and Yano. Like, I don't know. Give me this shit over some of the comedy that that Yano has been known for. Like, <laughs> right. I'm cool with it. I would. I, what, what if like the KOPW title becomes synonymous as being like the real ass wrestling belt, like, <laughs> the shooter belt? <laughs> yeah, you gotta fucking shoot to win this, thing, you know? Dude, that would be great. I'd, I'd be. I, yeah. What if this is like their way of like reverting Yano to a more serious? Yeah, where's where's a singlet from now on? <laughs> this it, it's everything the pure tile thought it wanted to be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I'm fine with it. I mean, would I do it all the time? No. but And do I think there's a big demand for it? No. no. Yeah. But do I think that it was a fun little diversion and, you know, something that's kind of, like, unique? And, I mean, it was non-offensive. Sure. I Why not? You know, the moment they do a really bad amateur match, that's when I'm going to be like, fuck no, get this off of the screen. But this one is fine, you know? Right, and it was right before the, the intermission, so good little way to, you know, reset and get ready for the the last few title matches here it also made sense considering the backgrounds of both guys right 
So like they just pull uh, it out of nowhere. Like, it wasn't like Chase Owens and like Udero wrestling each other in a amateur wrestling match. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the underscore dark underscore soldier asked. From the start, should Okada have won the KOPW trophy? It was his idea to bring it to life and with and with it with him. Uh, it would have been something for him to do and would have given it some immediate prestige. Wouldn't Okada in some fun and different stipulation matches like an Iron Man match, two out of three falls, steel cage, like how it was proposed in the beginning, have been better than just a Yano comedy belt? Well, I mean, I think we've kind of expressed our opinions on KLPW last year when it was first formed and how it shouldn't have just happened in the first place. Like gimmick matches should be used to, uh, in, in heated rivalries and be built up to it. It shouldn't just happen because, Oh, well we have a title, so we have to use gimmicks. And I think from day one, we saw that they were never planning to do Iron Man's and cage matches and stuff like that. It, it was always going to be this kind of comedy blindfold match, uh, Bull rope, duct tape, all you know, all this kind of comedy—a comedy thing for Yano to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to have a whole big discussion about this again. I hate to do this, and I don't think I've ever really done it too much on the show. But like, I would say we had an extensive and lengthy discussion about this when it was announced previous years. Uh, when was that? Right before Jingu Stadium, right? Yeah, so that would have been like last July, last August. Yeah, so I mean, I would recommend if you haven't listened to that, maybe go back to that episode, find that sound clip. It's out there. Uh, We have a lengthy discussion, and I mean, my feelings have not changed one bit about this. And, you know, we kind of explained what the options were, you know, and I think I did come to the conclusion that, like, if a guy like Yano won this belt, and just turned it into a comedy afterthought, that would be better than um, the alternative, which is uh, a vast departure from the house style and tradition of New Japan Pro Wrestling by having a bunch of meaningless, you know, ladder matches and steel cage matches and death matches, blah, blah. You know, like I'm right. just, I'm not a proponent of that just for the sake of doing it. Um, I do want to say, fuck you. To Kazushiko Okada for even introducing <laughs> this idea in the first place. It seems like, bro, it seems like it was one of, we'll talk about some of the ideas this dude's had, but it's one of the biggest troll jobs ever to like introduce this belt and know that he's, it's going to be a dumpster fire. He's never going to touch it and then just get the fuck out of there, you know? Right. Right out of Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> That's why his group is called Chaos. Because he's a fucking agent of chaos. He likes to see the world burn. He's like the Joker in Dark Knight, you know? There's no rhyme or reason to it. He just was like, you know what would be cool? Let's get some um, matches where you can't use your finisher going, okay? Well, How was, about that? He was like, hey, we, we put the bell on evil. Let's try some other crazy ideas. Do a bull rope match. Doesn't that sound dope as fuck? <laughs> oh, me? I'm not going to do it. Uh, but, but my boy Yano, he'll do it. <laughs> So, you know, I'm kind of glad that it's relegated to this lower level deal. And I, I, no, I would not care to see Kazushiko Kata probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer 
<laughs> right. You know, at 34 years old, has more highly rated matches than Kenta Kobashi or Mitsuhara Mazawa or Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels. <laughs> the greatest wrestler has probably ever lived. Uh, mixing it up in fucking, I don't know, you know, blindfold matches and shit. Like, not, I, and I understand that's not what the question asker asked, but that's the natural, like, progression of a title like this you know right like not uh, not every match could be a big huge gimmick match like yeah you're gonna get the, the blindfold you're gonna get the the handcuff the uh, you know the two, like the two the, count pinfall yeah ew <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyways we'll move uh, on but uh um, one thing before we move on uh post-match Aaron Hanare hit the ring jumped Yano uh Gray O'Connor hit the eliminator and then Yuji Nagata came in and made the save and cleared the ring. And um, I don't think there'll be any more defenses. So I think Yano is, is ending the year as the 2021 KOPW. The official champion. Yeah. And also the lineal provisional champion as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So double champ. Because you don't need to hold the trophy to be lineal champ. The lineal title is its own thing. Plus, you also... You know, he's also getting the distinction of winning the official trophy as well. Right. <laughs> it's It makes sense to me. Sounds- I, I love, bro, what I love is, so, you know, Canelo fought this weekend. And every time I talk about boxing to, like, Rich, Rich, like, <laughs> he always talks about dudes beating other people for their belts. He's like, take that man's belt. At the end of the match, I'm like, bro, that's not how it works. <laughs> the way it works is they pay – so there's two fighters, right? They both pay a sanctioning fee to – like let's say it's the I, IBF, right? One guy comes in as the IBF champion. But if the champion loses, right, they do not take his physical belt that he paid for from him. He takes that home with him as a trophy to recognize that he was champion – and the commission has created a new belt that they will award the new champion. Right. They both go home with belts, and only one of them is recognized as the champion. The old guy can't carry his belts around and show it on TV, but he gets to put it in a trophy case at home and keep it. And I've tried to explain this to Rich so many times, and he doesn't like fuck. I know. I think he does get it, but he, he like, just trolling you. <laughs> but he trolls me. It's like I don't fucking get it. He's like, There's one belt. You win the belt, you take the man's belt. And I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if those guys, they follow New Japan rules, I mean, they could take out their belts again and claim themselves <laughs> as, as real real champs. You know, that whole uh, post-match attack, I missed it. I think I started fast-forwarding through the uh, – <laughs> because I knew it was halftime or whatever. The, yeah, um, the commercials. So, yes, yeah, so I did not I, – I didn't see that Hinari and um, – Ocon got their heat back at the end. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And obviously those guys are going to be a team in the World Tag League, so getting them yeah. some, some heat there. What if uh, what if Ocon dis- – or what if um, next year Yano decides to start carrying around, like, the UWF 30 belt or the uh, the U- U30 um, – the IWGP U30 belt as, like, a physical representation of the KOPW title? He could do that. Uh, he he could. I mean, we have there'd president. be no rules against it, right? We can bring back any title. He should rec- resurrect the WWF World Martial Arts Heavyweight Title that Inoki carried in the '80s and use that 
as the representation of the KOPW title. Then then all KOPW matches can be martial arts fights. Or the greatest eight. You know what he could do? Just start collecting all the belts that have been gotten rid of. You know, the U30 belt, you know, the fucking martial arts title, the greatest 18 title, the NWF belt, the WWF international title. Just bring them all back and walk around like Ultimo Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) And like whoever wins the KOPW, it's like a troll job on them. They have to carry like eight belts. Oh, man. You know, when they go to a U.S. show. Yeah. They got to carry that. Carry shit all the, that. Yep. <laughs> but they can't like carry all that like through international flights. So they have to have it like shipped first class overseas and they got to pay for it out of pocket. Be a nice little rib to pull on somebody. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's going to bring us to the serious part of the show. So we had uh, several four different um, singles matches, big implications. First match of the uh, second half of the show. We had an IWGP junior heavyweight title match as Robbie Eagles, the defending champion, wrestled El Desperado. And he was defeated by the former champion. 18 minutes, 20 seconds. We have a new IWGP junior heavyweight champion. His name is El Desperado. And he is carrying that belt into the best of the Super Juniors 2021. I would just like to take my little victory lap here of accurately predicting Despy. Winning the title here, going into the tournament as champion. I know there's a lot of doubters or there are people questioning me, but I just thought it made all sense in the world, and so did Gato, and we have a new Ew. junior champ here. What do you mean victory lap? You pay attention to what you said the week before? Yes. <laughs> Bro, I don't pay the fuck attention to what I said the week before at all. Like, I, I literally don't even know who I predicted. Did I ride with you or no? No, well, you, eventually you did, but you you were giving me several questioning on, on why I was going with Despy and you were, you were oh, laying wait, out wait, the case on, for Eagles. On. Stop all that noise. I rode with you at the end? Yes. Okay, so so we need to be taking a victory. <laughs> right? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying that <laughs> I, I, I value my ratings... <laughs> takes and opinions we don't, they're not a game and they're not a joke and i i from the get i was i was confident 100 percent. so it only counts if you had it from the get not if you <laughs> made the final decision well i mean i had, I had to sway you I, I had to bring you in that's like if you go to heaven and you live your whole life you know living right and i i only decide to live right at the end and we both make it right <laughs> we both fucking made it you know but uh you're like you know but i was living right from the get <laughs> you know this fool over here made a last minute decision right switch sides Means like more, more righteous <laughs> <laughs> that should be that should be one of your gimmicks on this show more righteous <laughs> oh, oh man. my god but anyway so this um you know, this match, um, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, you know, I'm probably, uh, I don't know if anything in particular really stood out to me extensively, um, but I liked the action a lot. You know, it felt like we've had some good junior matches this year, but it felt like we've had a, we thought this was going to be the year of junior. Cause we thought that we we're getting a junior tag league at the end of last year and then another one in like, may (laughs) when we normally do but uh you know apparently that's not the case so it it really hasn't been the year of junior like we sort of predicted we haven't had a lot of 
truly great junior tag t- or junior uh, title matches or anything like that. I know these guys had a good match earlier in the year. I, I kind of feel like this one might have been better in my opinion. And, um, you know, it just sort of felt like, again, how we talked about the show going back to a sense of normalcy, the, the high flying fast paced, you know, junior action was kind of restored here a little bit. Yeah, I really enjoy this matchup. I did like this one better than the first. And in a way, it was almost kind of a mirror match because both of these guys have leg submission moves. Uh, Despy has that numero dos, the, the Brock Lock, Stretch Muffler, whatever you want to call it. And Robbie Eagles has that Ron uh, Miller special that he does. So both guys were attacking the knee. Uh, both guys do that uh, Tope Conhilo suicide dive flip through the middle. Uh, just be hit that towards the beginning, and then later on in the match, Robbie hit that. And then throughout the match, both guys were working on each other's uh, legs and knees to set up the, each other's uh, submission move. That's true. They did, and I don't want to discount that, but it felt like in the first match there was a, uh, a lot of really prolonged legwork sequences, which isn't bad. That match was good too, but this one felt more like a lot of back and forth. You know, they were both right. going after the leg, but it didn't feel like five minutes of Despy Heat or four minutes of uh, prolonged Robbie Eagle shine on the leg. You know, it didn't feel like that to me. Yeah, there's a lot of great counters, a lot of great uh, near falls. Uh, Despy hitting his uh, spine buster into the numero dos was a cool little spot. Uh, Robbie reversed um, the, I think the, I think he reversed the Pinche Loco into the Asai DDT. That was cool. Uh, Yo, do you know what Pinche Loco means? Uh, something crazy. Yo, I didn't know this. It means fucking crazy. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I had no clue. Right? It was pointed out to me this weekend. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, Pinche Loco. <laughs> yeah, it was the Pinche Loco that he reversed into a side ET, followed up with the 450 on the legs. Uh, Despeep cut his knees up, but since his knees were also hurt from the previous work, that also hurt him in the process. So that was kind of a loved that moment. Yeah, kind of a respot, reset spot there. And then Robbie hits a poison Rana, tries for the Ron Miller. A lot of back and forth reversals. Um, hits the guitar de la Morta for a near fall. Pinche local reversal into a snap Rana near fall. Uh, Robbie once again tries to work on the knee, but then Despy reverses the Ron Miller into the numero dos. Robbie's in the middle of the ring. Eagles has to tap out. Despy is once again the IWGP junior heavyweight champion. Yeah, man. What a year this guy's had. Um, you know, this is the second time this year he's carried the belt. He challenged for the double gold, like in February or March. Headlined, you know, um, Super Juniors against uh, Hiromu at the end of last year. And now he's going into Super Juniors as the champion once again. Um, multiple junior tag team title reigns along the way um you know we'll, we'll do the episode but i think el desperado's got a a real claim for junior heavyweight of the year in um new japan this year and this might have been that deciding you know victory when it comes to that sort of consideration yeah definitely gonna be a very strong nominee probably i could definitely see him as a favorite you know there is that kind of cult despy following out there and so i definitely think this could be his year to take home the award yeah and i love the end here the way that they sold the finish because robbie was caught in that pinche loco and 
Desperado's wrenching on it, and Robbie's like, no, no, no. And I was like, dude, he's in the middle of the ring. It doesn't look like he's getting out. I was like, this is about to be it. And then he like looks, and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it was the, the full numero dos. He had both arms uh, trapped. Like, there's literally nowhere for Robbie to go. What did I call it? Did I call it the Pinche Loco? Yeah, the, the Pinche Loco is the, uh, the angel wings. No, I know what it is, but did I call it that? Yeah. I always make that mistake. Yes, the numero dos. Um, or the Brock Lock, as I like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, uh, really good match. You know, four stars, 18 minutes. Great match. And uh, sets these two guys to go into the Super Juniors, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, seventh match of the night. We had the IWGP United States heavyweight title on the line as Kenta defeated the reigning champion, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Another title change on this show. 23 minutes, 44 seconds. And uh, we got a lot of questions here, a lot of thoughts. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think this was the best Kenta-Tanahashi match, but I definitely do think people are underrating it. I thought this was really good. Um, something that popped me at the beginning, obviously, um, Tanahashi was doing the air guitar, and he throws it to Kenta, and then Kenta turns it into a violin, <laughs> and then uh, toss it back to Tanahashi, yeah, and then got the advantage from there. Uh, yeah, I, I too really liked this match, believe it or not. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and claim it was a classic by any means, but I thought it was far from the uh, low ratings that I've kind of seen thrown around on cage match and uh, grapple. It seemed like a lot of people were very down on the encounter and i think maybe some of that was due to there were some miscues some mistiming some botches and um some sluggish movements especially on the side of hiroshi tanahashi in particular but um i don't think it was enough to bring the match down to a sense where i'd say like the match was bad i thought the match was pretty good actually and i'm I don't know, probably go like three and three quarters on it, honestly. Yeah, I'm about that on the rating as well. And, um, you know, telling a story here of kind of an injured Tanahashi. Kenta hit a power slam on the ramp to Tanahashi early in the match, and that was kind of the, the key focal point. He would go back to the power slam in the ring in the match and throwing Tanahashi into the guardrail. He uh, pulled a table out uh, to put Tanahashi through, but Tanahashi eventually put Kenta through high fly flow from the inside to the out through the table on Kenta. Awesome looking that spot. That was an awesome moment. Yeah, great looking spot in the match there. Uh, Kenta's back gets all cut up and he's bleeding from that. Um, and that, yeah, I'm looking right now. Cage match has this at 6.70, which, you know, uh, that's like basically three and a, three and a quarter, essentially. Mm-hmm. Maybe three and a half. Maybe three and a half if you're generous, you know? And um, I don't know, man. That felt like really low for me. I know a lot. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, people thought that they had a really bad performance. I loved that table spot. Yeah, uh, that table spot was great. I think a lot of people, like I was saying last week in the preview, I think a lot of people were just down on Kento with a lot of shenanigans that he did in the G1. And then this match, there was some of that same shenanigans. I mean, he did use the exposed... A corner, which was kind of the story of his whole G1. He's at exposed corner a lot to pick up wins, and that's exactly what he did here. He threw Tana into the exposed turnbuckle and followed up with GTS to uh, get the win here. Well, since we did it last week, I think we should jump into uh, the weekly, <laughs> as long as I want to do it, um, highlighted match review 
courtesy of Cage Match. Uh, <laughs> Naj O'Bron wrote on the 7th of November, 2021, awful, awful match. Possibly the worst big New Japan match in my memory. I haven't watched such bad matches, and I'm reading this verbatim. I haven't watched such bad matches for a very long time. For almost 25 minutes, Kent and Tanahashi, Tanahashi simply disgraced themselves. Kenta has regressed a lot, and if earlier he looked like a bad copy of Jay White, now Kenta looks like a parody of evil. Kenta urgently needs a face turn because he is a very bad as a heel. Too much cheating and too little pro wrestling. In addition, the match itself was very slow. There was little action, psychology, or chemistry only made things worse. The ending was nice and some of the sequences were interesting, but that's all about it. I also think the title change was a terrible booking decision, especially considering the upcoming Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe this was done because of Moxley, who went to recover from alcoholism. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't even read this whole thing. Now I'm like, oh, I should have read this. I don't know. But I know that for the third year in a row, Tana becomes the champion, only to lose the belt in the first or second defense, which hurts the status of all these belts. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a very bad match that did a lot of damage to an otherwise good show. One and a half stars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So, uh, Najo Braun, you are the highlighted review of the week on Keeping It Strong. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, man. So, yeah, um, I felt very differently than that. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm definitely <laughs> the three and three quarters. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm popping myself right now. <laughs> um, one thing I will say, though. Um, I thought I, I disagree with him vehemently. I think Kenta and Tanahashi have great natural chemistry. I thought that the pace of the match was a tad slow, but it wasn't the worst. Uh, Tanahashi didn't look like Tanahashi, though. Yeah, he was moving kind of rough. I don't know if th th that power slam on the ramp took more out or he just was, you know, banged up from the G1. I don't know what it was. But here's the thing, man. Not only is he banged up, you know, look like we've seen that many times over the years. Like I can't tell you how many times like Tanahashi's come off of a big match and, you know, kind of look ragged or come off a G1, you know, and moved sort of gingerly, but it wasn't just that physically. He had a belly. He just kind of looked deflated. He was looking sort of Jericho-esque, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Which is weird because if you think about how he looked recently in like the Shingo match and the Ibushi match, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy how this man has the ability. Like he's got like Super Saiyan like regeneration skills. Like he goes in like some sort of <laughs> hyperbolic like, time chamber. <laughs> yeah, he goes into a hyperbolic time chamber and like comes out with abs and shit. And then, you know, six weeks later, it's gone. I don't know what. I, he he's up and down. There's a lot of fluctuation. Um, and, you know, I was talking to someone recently about working out, you know, cause I'm right now I'm down 20 pounds, like I mentioned, but uh, you know, they're like, well, if you want to gain muscle, you got to do X, Y, and Z. And like, you really got to cut down the cardio. I was like, yeah, but if I want to wrestle, I also need insane cardio. And then I started thinking, I was talking to someone, I was like, bro, like what you need to wrestle is like unrealistic for most humans. You need to have, 
the kind of cardio that like an endurance like runner has <laughs> or like a professional athlete plus you need to be strong as a motherfucking ox and you need to look like some sort of professional fighter or bodybuilder essentially right and to have a uh, a workout regiment that lends itself to all three of those things is like kind of hard to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I'm like, man, you know, all these expectations on a guy like Tanahashi, this got to be hard. But, you know, he didn't look like himself. And it was probably the first time in all these years that I watched him where I was like, man, he doesn't look like the guy in the Tokyo Dome against Kenny Omega from just a couple years ago anymore. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying he – will he have abs by the time Wrestle Kingdom comes around? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, dude, he, he had trouble on two or three occasions just – jumping over the ropes to get in position for high fly flows and aces highs and shit like right. that was weird he's never i've never really seen that from him yeah man he's he's man he's getting up there and we we always ride with the ace but i mean eventually he, he's gonna break down it's it's uh my dad's a heel wrestler coming to life right now oh man uh the other thing too is like obviously i didn't watch the g1 and i know you did and you mentioned people getting tired of Kenta's, you know, um, tactics. But there's a part of me that's like, how many people really watched this year's G1? And this didn't seem to be like a super buzzworthy G1. I don't know how many people were psychos like you watched <laughs> the whole thing. I bet you there's a lot of people that probably parachuted in or maybe didn't even watch it and then came in for this big show like me and never experienced those shenanigans. And there were some things, you know, there's a lot of powders from Kenta early on, which maybe that's what this reviewer was talking about when he was saying, quote, unquote, like Jay White, as if Jay White and Kenta are the only two wrestlers who ever taken powders in the beginning of a fucking match. Right, like Jay White invented powders. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of which, didn't we all make a pact in our friend group that when we decided to leave, we'd call it powdering? And then we haven't done that ever. We need to uh, uphold that vow that we made. Well, we're running it, we're running it for uh, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Time to powder out. Everyone get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> Yo, you guys take a powder. <laughs> Everyone gets up and leaves. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, Kenta cheated, you know, he's a heel. It's fine. Like and, this wasn't... and it's nowhere near as egregious as evil. No, it's not as egregious as evil. And in the past, Kenta's had, you know, like last year's G1, he was pretty inoffensive. And, you know, this past year, uh, he's had matches against Tanahashi. Couldn't beat him. Makes sense why he cheated from a storyline perspective. I'm not trying to cap for it. And I'm not saying this is the greatest match, but, you know, they're trying to make the ace look strong. The ace can beat him in a fair, straight up one on one. This guy used every trick in his book to lift the title off of him. It's fine, you know. Right. And you know, the only thing I'm sad about it is I wanted Kenta to go on a never-ending odyssey to win the red belt, and unfortunately, that has already come into fruition. So you know, whatever. Yeah, they might have oh. some other plans oh. for him with that red belt, though. The other thing, too, if you think about it, Kenta, this isn't the first time that they've belted him up at Power Struggle just before a Wrestle Kingdom. You know, they did this not that long ago with the Never title and had him and Goto run it, you know? Right, yeah. When he won, he beat Ishii at uh, Royal Quest. Right. So, or yeah, I guess it was, was it Royal Quest? I thought Royal Quest was the match he didn't win and then Power Struggle is the one where he got it. 
Yeah, I'm correct. I can't because the match. Yeah, because the power struggle was a match he, he was like knocked out in. No, I, think I mean, Royal, I mean, um, Royal, sorry, Royal Quest was the match he was knocked out in. So I think, I think, I think Royal Quest the one where he didn't win it, and I think he won it. Power struggle, or maybe I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember. Ago. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, you know, it's not like th- they've done this same thing before, so it kind of makes sense. Like they want to have Kenta in a prominent spot. It's not like Tanahashi needs the belt to do something big at the dome, you know. If hypothetically, you know, it seems like him and John Moxley were gearing up for something potentially. And let's say John Moxley comes out of rehab, and let's say Tanahashi's ready to go. They don't need the fucking red belt, right? And now, now you've got that set up, ready to go. And then Kenta can defend the belt against I don't know Goto, since that's who they like to put him up against at Wrestle Kingdoms for secondary titles. Well, I mean, post match he called out uh, one CM Punk, Mister uh, Phil Brooks. Phil Brooks, uh, CM Punk, I will put you to sleep. I'll see these guys have had a beef over the the go to sleep and Punk stealing all of Kenta's moves back in the the Ring of Honor days. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know um if that would feasibly happen, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know. Right. Also, we don't know exactly what uh the AW schedules be looking like around Wrestle Kingdom, and if guys, I know things are opening up for people to come back in. So, listen, I haven't been keeping up with AW like you probably have, so I haven't seen as many uh Punk's recent matches. But this Saturday, his match with Kingston, a real man's match, is going to tell me a lot about whether I want to see him wrestle a hard, you know, style hitter like uh, Kenta or not. You know, right. So, uh. We'll see where we go from there. And we'll see if that's, you know, that's the thing. It's like Kenta definitely, he cut that promo. Everyone's talking about him and Punk, but can they deliver on it? Maybe, I don't know. It makes me wonder if like New Japan needs to have some sort of a, uh, at least some level of oversight on the like promos these guys cut. Because I don't like the idea that they would uh, tease something that might not happen. But if it is going to happen, cool, you know. Well, maybe it might not, not happen in New Japan. I mean, Kenta lives in the States. Maybe it's going to happen on an AEW show. They're going to run it at Side Dojo. <laughs> so we got some questions here. Uh, Dom Homie 101 said, do you guys think Kenta winning the U.S. belt was an audible or was it the original plan? I feel, oh, I feel all of 2021 has been an audible. <laughs> well, I guess he's probably alluding to what that reviewer mentioned with uh, John Moxley. You know, and could that have played a part in the booking decision? Which I, I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other, but it is possible. It is, but I don't know. I feel like they, if they really wanted a Tanahashi U.S. title match, they would have kept it on Tanahashi. And there, there's plenty of people that you could bring in to face Tanahashi for the U.S. title. But could I, you do? Could you do Archer and Kenta since they had interactions in that tag match back in AEW earlier this year? You can definitely do that, especially since Archer was the U.S. champ this year going into uh, Resurgence. So that's def- definitely a possibility. Remember when Tanahashi said he was coming to defend the belt in AEW and he was giving the first title shot to Archer? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's out the window. Yeah. Um. Next question from Viking Pain said, so we're getting Kenta versus Shibata at Wrestle Kingdom 16 for the U.S. title, right? <laughs> I mean, if Shibata can get cleared, I mean, that would be a pretty dope match to do. Well, uh, you know how this company is. I mean, we've got 
the fucking San Francisco show coming up. Is it, it that show's in San Francisco, right? Uh, San Jose. Okay, San Jose show. And then we got like World Tag League, <laughs> best of super juniors. It's not a lot of time to really build a program. So Kenta is Kenta in World Tag League? He's not. Okay, so I'm kind of wondering how they even build something between now and then, you know? Well, they could use uh, Strong. Obviously, um, he could be a surprise appearance at Battle in the Valley. He could show up at the Detonation TV tapings. Officer Shibata being in, in L.A. sometimes, they could do an angle there. Yeah, that's not a bad call. And, I mean, um, we got some news here, but it seems like things are a little more open as far as travel restrictions. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that someone U.S. bound from – you know, the U.S. roster or something like that could be a potential. I mean, maybe Shabbat. I don't know. Yeah. Pussy Destroyer 83619 <laughs> said, Chase Owens got robbed. He beat Tanahashi one-on-one, and Kenta gets the first shot, and now he's champion. Do you think this will lead anywhere or just get swept under the rug? Man, this is the Ishii beating Okada in the G1 moment right here for Chase Owens. The exact same thing. The exact same thing. Ishii beating Okada and Chase Owens, the crown jewel, beating Hiroshi Tanahashi. Same shit. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Ishii was robbed. He never got a crack at Okada. Chase was robbed. Never got a crack at the ace. And, and now he, he's back the line. I mean, now, now he's in World Tag League. His U.S. dreams are over. Yeah. Um, who's that? Chase. Chase Owens? Okay. Yeah, he's got to fight Oiwa next. <laughs> he's got to fight he got to fight the Brooklyn Brawler. <laughs> That's who I, he's got to fight Yuto Nakashima next. <laughs> okay. Um last question. Oh, that's it. Um so then <laughs> it's going to bring us to the semi main event of the evening. We had the IWGP World Heavyweight Title number 1 contendership match as the G1 Winner Kazushiko Okada defended his title. What do they call it in WWE? Championship opportunity. Yeah, he gave he gave Tama a championship opportunity. Yeah, he defended his championship opportunity against uh, Tama Tonga with Jado. Match went twenty five minutes thirteen seconds. Although you might have been confused here, because although it's not for a title, it's for a championship opportunity. Okada felt compelled to bring out the IWGP Heavyweight Version Four belt. <laughs> Yeah, now if I remember correctly, Red Shoes like lifted the belt up <laughs> before the match. I don't, I don't remember that. That's funny. Yeah, so this match has been getting a ton of praise from Dave, from reviewers, fans. Everybody's been going crazy about this match and just, uh, you know, Tama Tonga's performance in this match. And for me, I was n- not that high as several of the other people uh, rating this match. I thought it was a, a very good match. I think I like the G1 match a little bit better. Uh, I think for me, the thing that just really hurt it for me is like I knew that there was no shot whatsoever that Tanga was going to beat Kazuchika Okada. So I kind of checked out a little bit uh, in the beginning of the match, and I just I didn't bite on a lot of near falls. I mean, there was, it was a lot of great wrestling. There was a ton of great uh, sequences, obviously Tamo working for the, the gun stun all throughout the match, which uh, helped him pick up the, the G one win. 
Um, and also busting out a lot of that signature offense that he used in the G1 this year, that rolling uh, DDT, his uh, flying bodies flash, which he calls the uh, Supreme Flow. Also uh, busted out the, the Bloody Sunday as well. And there was a great sequence that l- uh, led into the Bloody, Bloody Sunday. Tama hitting a tombstone. Um, and then Okada kind of eventually came back in and taking control and hitting the Rainmaker to get the win. Yeah. So, um, kind of like you mentioned, um, this match was interesting in the sense that, like, now I thought it was good, obviously, and I'm sure I'm echoing your sentiments, but like, a lot of the reviews for this are just like very, very high. And I feel like that's a lot of cap. <laughs> um, I think maybe some of it is goodwill towards Tamatanga, you know, and I, he's definitely deserving of it. You know, I, I don't want to undercut him or undermine him. I thought he had a good performance here. And obviously some of what he did during the G1 is kind of carried over into this match as far as the public perception. But to me at 25 minutes, 13 seconds, I mean, it kind of felt like Okada ate him up. Yeah. You know, uh, there was, I guess what you'd call back and forth, but a lot of it was like Tama trying to be sneaky and wily enough to pull out the big stun gun again and get the upset on Okada and Okada just being too smart, cutting him off every time he tried to do any sort of reversal. There's good sequences for sure, but there was no point really where I bit on any sort of um, near fall or, you know, reversal spot or, you know, uh, any kind of scare that maybe he was going to hit the big move. And then, you know, at 25 minutes, he just, he hit Tamatonga with the fucking Rainmaker, pinned him one, two, three. And the look on Tama's face was a man who was tired. <laughs> <laughs> like he looked kind of blown up and, you know, hats off to him. I don't think his performance was one of a man who was blown up at all. I think he fucking showed that he can go in the ring, obviously. But when that one, two, three came up, I looked at his face and he was like, this man was huffing. And you usually don't see a man huffing. You usually see a man like kind of prone, like eyes closed. This man's eyes are wide open. He looked like he was seeing stars. <laughs> well, that man was wrestling really, really hard in this match. Um... He wrestled hard as fuck. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm more in like the three and three quarter range. I know there's people. I uh, go three and a, I'd go like three and a half on this man. Oh wow, yeah. It yeah. wasn't a bad match. It was good, but like I, I don't know. Um, maybe part of it was the fact that just the, Okada. I mean, Okada's not going to lose Tamatonga to go into the fucking Wrestle Kingdom. Like it's just not going to happen. So maybe there's also that lack of intrigue for me you know right it was definitely like kind of a random guy to do this match with and maybe they they also needed somebody that okada can beat and it wouldn't be it wouldn't hurt them also if tama kind of fits that but at the same time like is there not anybody else that was a little bit higher up on the picking order that could have been a little bit more believable of them beating okada and going into wrestle kingdom i disagree here's where my feelings are and you've kind of said this in the past they should have built him up better over the course of A, the G1, B, post-G1, in the tag matches and the preview matches. He should have been made to look very strong. They didn't do any of that. 
So it was sort of just like, he's the only guy that beat Okada in the G1. You know, de facto, he gets the title shot, but like they did not make him look credible. Now he made himself look credible. Physically, it's the best I've ever seen Tamatonga look. In terms of uh, skill in ring-wise, this is the best Tamatonga's ever looked. Uh, maybe I'm being a little too harsh. Maybe I could go a little higher on that that match rating. Maybe three and a half, three and three quarters is appropriate. I'd probably go three and a half max. But, um, you know, it's they didn't do him any favors in the way they not, presented not, Yeah, him. not at all. And I would have had him look better in the G1. I don't mean in terms of match quality. I mean in terms of like wins, wins, yeah, win percentage. He didn't. He lost to Goto on the last night. And exactly. Then, then he goes out and challenges Okada. Like, bro, you just lost to Goto. Yep, he lost to Goto, and then he wasn't picking up the wins in the tag matches in the preview shows. Uh, it just didn't really make sense. I mean, how are you supposed to even believe in the guy? I mean, this is booking one one. It's not that crazy what i'm saying you know right but it is what it is you know so okada picks up the win um i i feel like they felt like it was an attaboy for tamatanga for all everything that him and his brother have done over the years and during you know the pandemic specifically and i mean he was in fucking shape and he wrestled fucking hard I actually don't think he was the one, the reason the match was on the downside. I think it was Okada, if you want my honest opinion. And it was a lot of all the times that they went to the um, money clip, fucking money clip, man, that money clip kills matches. And it still does. It's still not over after all these years. Like it's a failed experiment at this point. Yeah. Especially in a clap crowd environment. It's, oh. it's rough. Yeah. Maybe it could have got over with real crowds that could have really reacted and learned to react to it. But man, they, he picked the wrong time to, <laughs> to bring that shit up. So um, this match, like it, while it was good, it, it got me to the point where I was like, you know, I got to turn the show off. I actually didn't watch the last match in the sequence. I didn't watch the last match until today. Um, that's kind of how, like, even though the match was good, it just kind of like, I don't know. I felt a little worn out mm. from, from it. Yeah. But the main event, the real IWGP World Heavyweight Hold title. On, we had a, a question from uh, Viking Pain. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to skip over that. Viking Pain said, after Tama's stellar G1 run this year and his fantastic Okada match, do you think this could be the beginning of a nice singles push for him? A U.S. never or singles title run would be great for him. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be a start of something for him. I mean, we've seen that Tama's very popular in the U.S., so being U.S. champion eventually or being the strong openweight champion and if he's going to be on strong more could make a ton of sense. Um, the never title, so Jay has it right now, and if they're going to keep that title as like the number two, I'm not sure if he'd win that. I mean, he could definitely challenge for it. I don't know if he'd win that, but definitely maybe more of a U.S. or a strong title run would be good for him. I wouldn't be opposed to an experimental Tamatanga title reign of some sort. I mean... You know, before this G1, if you ask me that, I'd say no. But after this G1, sure, why not? You know, yeah. Carl Anderson broke himself off from being a a tag guy to getting singles runs and title shots and stuff like that. Why not? Yeah, I'm I'm for it. IWGB World Heavyweight Title Match: The Champion Shingo Takagi defends his title against Zack Saber Jr. They went 30 minutes, 27 seconds in what I would deem as a classic yeah this match was 
awesome. Um, these guys, two of the best wrestlers in the world. These guys have great chemistry. Um, story of the match here. So obviously going into this match, you know, Saber tapped out Shingo with the the arm bar in the G one. Uh, so kind of having the the edge here over Shingo, but coming in here, the story of the match was Shingo was kind of going hole for hole with Zach in the beginning and kind of out wrestling Zach and kind of um, you know beating Zach at his own game um, and really forcing Zach to come up with some new things and do some different things. Also, he did the, the La Mystica into uh, the armbar and you know doing some more strike exchanges, doing some uh, you know German exchanges and just a lot of great uh, back and forth counters and tra- transitions here. Now, I didn't see the first match, okay? So that's one. After seeing this, I'm like, fuck, I need to go back and rewatch that match um, to kind of get the full scope. But, bro, did I love this. Um, And I thought it was a nice touch that they just went over the 30-minute mark because I think that that's a little bit telling as well. Um, Just – do you remember how long the first match even went? Um, I – don't remember. I it's. I think it was definitely over twenty. Okay, so I mean, um, you know, the one thing that I do know about that match is at, they went deep into the match, and then obviously Saber caught him in an armbar slash triangle, and it, it caused the tap very quickly at that point in the tournament. You know. Yeah, I feel like there but, was like a few minutes left, and he tapped him out. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And the thing is, what's nice about that there's a lot of logic there because it's like, okay, winning in the G one is important, but winning in the G one, isn't the same thing as winning when you're, when the title's on the line, because the title literally is not on the line. So there's less fear of loss from that standpoint. Plus when you have a long arduous tournament in front of you and you're early on that, that match was like third or fourth in that round of that block, you know? And you got a guy like Shingo who's looking at six more, you know, five or six more competitors in front of him. Do I, you know, hold on and get my arm broken and risk the whole tournament and maybe my title run? Or do I save myself, call him the better man, tap out and live to fight another day? And that's where, that's what, where he went in that moment. And it kind of creates that like, uh, sort of built an excuse for a guy like Shingo. Like, yeah, he got bested, but like, what if, what if it was a big match on a big show with the title on the line? Could, could a guy like Saber still get him out of there? You know? Right. And we got to a point in this match where they were going, like you mentioned, hold for hold style for style. Shingo's trying to match, you know, um, the Saber in every aspect of technical wrestling and they're both going back and forth. And it, that's the nice thing. It wasn't – there were points where um, Shingo was definitely outsmarting him and showing him that he had his number and he was very well-versed in the technical game. But kind of the same thing with Sabre. A lot of times where Sabre was beating Shingo in the strike exchanges. So this was just kind of like your classic war of attrition. Yeah. And they got, they got deep into the match, and there was a point where um, Sabre was uh, – he had Shingo on the ropes. He jumps up, puts him in the um, freaking Kimura, jumps off with him and, and lands in a um, straight armbar position. Uh, Shingo blocks it. And I'm, I'm recalling all this from memory. And Saber switches sides to the other side, gets the arm, 
you know, Shingo's protecting that. Saber locks it into, you know, transitions to a triangle choke. And you, you see that moment where um, Shingo's getting ready to try to muscle up and maybe powerbomb him. And Saber, you know, extends his body and goes into the armbar. And you're like, oh, fuck, it's the same <laughs> thing as the first match. Yeah. And you see the look of desperation on Shingo's face, and he gets the ropes this time because he's he is already prepared for the trick. And now we're deep into the match. And now, like, it's like, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is this is not a, a two-point match. This is for all the marbles. And, you know, Zach threw everything at him. Zach hit him with the fucking Zach uh, driver. Twice. Twice. He did a spinning Zach driver. I popped huge for that. I, I bit for a near fall on that. But that uh, that moment where he had him in the armbar, it, it kind of erased any doubts of, like, was it a fluke or was it, you know, could he have beaten Shingo in that moment? It's like, I don't know if that same original match had happened and the title had been on the line and it was like on a big show like this, if the, if the results would have been the same, you know, right. It sort of seems like Shingo kind of took mate, you know, took a calculated loss essentially. And it sort of speaks to like his, uh, IQ as a champion, you know? Yeah. And, and oh, go ahead. No, speaking of his, of his IQ, I loved his strategy in this match. Like anytime Saber got him in a hole, he just hurled his body to the ground. There's several times where like Shing, or huh. Saber would like get him in a hole, and he would just quickly do like a back bump of Saber on his back. And like there's one point where uh, Saber was going for like a sleeper, he went up to the top, like the middle rope, and jumped off with Saber on his back. And so several times he would just like, throw himself to the ground when Saber had him. I don't think I even. Uh really noticed that but that's that's interesting um but there was a lot of strategy here and then towards the tail end like like you mentioned zach hit him twice with the uh zach driver the first time he couldn't uh you know get the pinfall the second time he got the pinfall immediately and i was like i bit for that i bit too because i obviously i know shingo's not gonna lose in fact i already was already spoiled on the finish by the time i watched it but i was like oh he fucking (laughs) hit it and uh he kicks out and I mean, he did everything, you know. He did the uh, the he, freaking the super arm bar off the top rope. The super arm bar. He uh, what's what's the uh, cradle that he likes to do? The bridging cradle. Uh, European clutch. Yeah, he did a European clutch, which he's won a lot of matches with that. But what was really beautiful is just the technical wrestling between these guys, even between the brutality and the strong strikes and the clotheslines and fast paced action. There was just so many reversals. These guys are just reading each other. Like, I, I don't know, man. This match just really fucking ruled. And, um, man, at the end of the rally that Saber came up with where he's like, ah, and he's just fucking Striking, slapping the yeah. shit out of him. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is the best Zach has ever been. I know Zach has always been fantastic and always been a best in the world type of guy and candidate. But, I mean, you look at his physique. You look at his character, you look at the promos he's cutting, you look at the matches he's having, the way he's upped his game in so many different ways. Bro, Zach's one of the best wrestlers alive today. And this match just went to show that again. Shingo can do Shingo shit with anybody on any night. I love this match. Like, I'll tell you right now, we might need to have a rediscussion about match of the year candidates when it comes to this. <laughs> so, so where are you with the snowflakes on this one? Sounds like you're higher than I am. 
Oh yeah, I'm hiring. I'm four and three quarters. I'm okay. like shy of. I'm just outside of five stars on this shit. Nice. And you know what? It makes me really curious as to um, how good the first match was. Uh, I'll peel back the curtain. We've got ten matches listed for rest match of the year. We've already finalized that. We've got the G1 match on the ballot. We don't have this match on the ballot as of right now. But I'm like, fuck, bro. This match was so good. Yeah, we can definitely. And, I mean, I rated them both the same. I have them both at four and a half, so I wouldn't be upset if we switch it out for this one. I, I wouldn't even say I don't know if we should switch it out or not. I don't know. The thing is, I can't speak with enough confidence because I missed the whole G one. So that's the hard part. But uh, damn, this match was good, bro. Like, and then and then at the very very end, end Zach kicking out a pump, bro. There there's a pumping bomber, and like we've always talked about Zach being not the greatest bumper. He probably still isn't, but like. He took this pumping bomber and bumped on a high angle off of his shoulders and popped himself up like the fucking rock takes a stone cold <laughs> stunner. Uh, I loved that. Uh, you know, he kicked out of a last of the dragon. He kicked out of a pumping bomber. Uh, Shingo kept going for cross faces. He kept transitioning out of other submission. Like he would get one submission and then go into another submission and then be like, fuck it. Crossface. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did a, uh, the Samoa Joe combo, the power bomb into the STF, and then into yep. the, into the crossface. Yeah, and that was the only time he did that. He did multiple transitions to the crossface. So it'll, you know, there's two ways of looking at. It. Maybe it was he's not that good at submissions, and he's just going to what he knows, or it's a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah. But uh, man, this match was good. And then finally, the only the one drawback the only drawback was i felt like the finish when they went to the final sequence with the uh last of the dragon while it was fitting it did feel a little flat kind of came out of nowhere kind of came out of nowhere like they'd been building 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 and i feel like they crescendoed maybe 45 50 seconds before and zach was just kind of out and you know shingo pummy bombered him Put him up for the last of the dragon one two three, which was fine, but it just felt a little. I, I don't even want to say out of nowhere; it just felt anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, the match was outstanding. But hats off to those guys; like they got me energized, bro. Yeah, and I, I love that Shingo continues to to use the GTR and call it the Great Takagi Revolution. <laughs> he did. He did use it. He used the rope assist GTR. Right. He's, right? Yeah, he's been used ever since that Goto feud. He's been do, been doing it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, post-match, um, you know, Taichi's on commentary for the Japanese announce team, and he hops the, the railing, comes in, and, you know, ices down Zach. Zach is out of it. And, like, just that show of, again, Suzuki. We've seen it time and time again, the Suzuki-Goon camaraderie. And it's, uh, you know, always so evident when it comes to Zach and Taichi. And then... Um, Zack Sabre Jr. and Shingo just showing a lot of respect to one another. Even after all the trash talk and everything, these guys, you know, basically holding hands and, you know, holding each other's heads and, like, icing each other down. And, like, you didn't hear what they were saying, but, like, it almost felt like – I saw, like, the number two being thrown up again. So it was almost like, you got one, I got one. Let's fucking meet again down the road. Yeah, let's run it back, Yeah. And I like that. And then this motherfucker Kazushiko Kata. <laughs> uh, Bro, I, I'm telling you right now, I don't think in the history of us doing this show I've ever been anti-Okada. Like, 
not through the pants, not balloons. through the balloons, <laughs> not through the red hair, not through him introducing KOPW as a concept, not through him, you know, fucking off in G1s, not through him, you know, blacklisting and blackballing Kenny Omega. <laughs> Not through him putting Tanahashi out to pasture or so it seemed at the time. But, bro, in this feud right now, I'm fucking over because it should go. Bro, I I want Shingo to beat that man's ass again. I want Shingo to beat his ass so bad. This man, (laughs) after he said he wasn't going to challenge, comes out after the match to challenge Shingo. He came out with the fucking version four belt. <laughs> oh man, like he's a he's a fucking bitch, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, bro. Oh yeah. man. So he and comes uh, out. They go face to face. Chris Charlton wasn't there, so I didn't get to hear what they said. But it, it sounds something like you know, you know, I got this fake belt. You want to put your real belt up? And he's like, "Fuck you, bitch! I'm champion." <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty. That's pretty uh, spot on. And then you know, we <laughs> we got the the Wrestle Kingdom music. I know a lot of people they they started their Christmas music early. Well, it, it's November, and we're we're getting a start of Wrestle Kingdom music. So that that was pretty good to hear towards the end of the show. There, they didn't point at the Wrestle Kingdom sign though. They forgot to put it up. Yeah, that's my favorite part of Wrestle Kingdom season is when they both look. Over at the sign, and then one of them points at the sign. The and other one like shakes his head. Up fireworks go off. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but um, that wraps up uh, power struggle. There was a uh, post uh, power struggle press conference where we got the first official match for Wrestle Kingdom 16. So the, the match is set for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. In the press conference, uh, champion Shingo Takagi, it was announced he will defend against Kazuchika Okada on January 4th. Takagi promised that he would retain the championship against Okada. He then mentioned that if he won, he would take the IWGP heavyweight title that Okada is carrying and would give it to the appropriate IWGP advocate, mentioning the that 2022 is NJPW's 50th anniversary. Do you think he means Inoki? Maybe because I read the interview. He was like, you guys know who it is. I'm not going to say his name. Well, I watched the video just before we record the show and he was like, I've never met the man, but we all know who he is. And he and he even quoted uh, someone as saying, like, if you have enough uh, willpower and drive, anything is possible. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds like some, like some shit I know he would have said back in the day. Like, But, you know. He's talking about the IWGP advocate. I think I like to refer to this individual as a collective body called the IWGP committee. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's, in fact, I think they actually probably mistranslated what he was saying. They call it the, they're, they're trying to say he's saying IWGP advocate, but I have it on good record that in Japanese, uh, what he was saying was actually IWGP committee. So there's some confusion there. Mm. Then uh, yeah. Okada also had some, you know, more outrageous comments that I, I didn't copy down here, but he was talking about. Some, I heard them all. They asked him like, "Oh, well, you know, Shingo beat you twice this year. Like, how do you feel going in this match?" He was like, "That was then. This is now. That was a pass. Like, 
Bro, there was other shit too. Like they were like, so you know, not only did they ask him about him losing twice, but they're like, you know, this man defended, the, you know, won the belt, defended against Sadahashi, defended against you know, Zack Sayer. Who else did he defend against? Abushi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's supposed to defend against, but he defended uh, Evil. Oh yeah. So they like mentioned the people he defended against. They're like, what have your thoughts been on like the state of the championship and you know what are your thoughts on him beating you and every, everything like that? And he was like, well. To be honest, I can't say that I've seen any of his IWGP World Heavyweight title matches. I haven't watched them all, or any of them. Right, he's like, I, I don't be watching. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't be watching his shit. And he's like, uh, considering who was involved with the matches, I'm sure they were great. But uh, it's the Okada show now, so. <laughs> yeah. And they <laughs> like, ask... like, this motherfucker just said that he doesn't watch the title matches. Like, you know, like. You remember, like, when uh, wrestlers, like, when Bill Watts used to require the wrestlers to not go home, they had to stay and study yeah. the main event? <laughs> this man, Okada's like, fuck that. I'm going home. Like, Okada works his undercard match and gets the fuck out of Dodge. He doesn't right. watch Shingo's matches. Right. Uh, also, they asked him, like, what are your plans for the IWGP title? And he's like, oh, I'm not going to reveal it, but I do have a request that I'm going to make if I, if I win the match. I'm like, this man is going to, like, Bring the title back, <laughs> retcon the last two years, and like be the IWGP champion. Who knows champion what he's game. doing? Yeah, he's talk, bro. I told you he's got fuckboy energy. Last <laughs> week, he's talking out both sides of his mouth because he was like, "This isn't the world title. It just represents the contract. That's all it is." And they're like, "But what if you win? What are you gonna do?" Ah, uh, well, you know. I can't give that away for free. I mean, right. there's no intrigue in that. That's it's too soon. I'm like, but you just said it's not gonna be <laughs> <laughs> like, bro. What the fuck? Uh, the funny thing too, um, Shingo came into the room and said some shit that was mad funny. He was like, you know, this man want to call, wants to call himself IWGP champion, but if he cared so much about being IWGP, or I'm sorry, I messed up. He wants to call himself the G1 champion. But if he cared so much about being represented as the G1 champion, wouldn't what? he carry the, the G1 trophy, trophy around? <laughs> he's like, instead, he's carrying around the IWGP heavyweight title, a title that was literally retired and defunct, and it has nothing to do with the G1 in any shape or form. So why is he even bringing it out? I don't know what this even means. Yeah. And then later, like Okada was like, Listen, it's just a representation. When you win the G1, all they give you is some paper. You know, they give you a paper. So I don't want to carry a paper. I want to, you know, raise the prestige of the tournament. I'm going to carry this belt instead. And then they're like, but didn't that man say uh, something about trophies? Like, never mind all that. This is to represent the paper. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was like, he was like, in, he was like, in, in sports, you don't carry a trophy around. He was like, you carry a belt or a medal around. And so I'm carrying this belt. I'm like, dude, just fucking say what you're doing. Stop being so fucking shady, dude. Right. God, Okada's like making it hard for me to even like him. Like, I wish he'd go back to wearing pants. Fuck him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh I, I, there was one thing. I didn't say this last week, but I, I thought about this. If this was real sports, and this is boxing or MMA, and this man Shingo beat this man's ass twice in the same calendar year. Okada would never get another title shot <laughs> until until Shingo went G one or not. 
G1s be damned. This man would never get another title shot because here it got his ha- his ass handed to him twice. And, you know, at that point, it's like, he's got no shot, you know? This man blew it twice already. So, you know, he's a gatekeeper of the stars until someone <laughs> else comes along and wins that belt. Yeah, he's going, I don't know what. He's going to the back of the line along with uh, Chase Owens. But uh, we had uh, some questions here. Viking Pain said, with the Wrestle Kingdom 16 main events most likely to involve Okada, Shingo, and Osprey in some sort of gold dash, who, in your opinion, should end up as world champion? But who do you think the company will crown as champion? So, personally, I would love for Shingo to uh, leave all three nights as the undisputed world champion. You look at the year that he's had this year and, um, you know, just just being a consistent worker, great champion, like I think it would be a great thing to elevate him. But being that they are this is starting the 50th year, they really need to kickstart a business, I can easily see it being Okada uh, being the one that's the undisputed champion at the end of all this. Yeah, I those echo my exact sentiments. That's exactly how I feel about all of this. Um, the only thing, there is one thing um, Shingo sort of mentioned during the press conference. He said, you know, Wrestle Kingdom isn't just the start of a new year, but it's also the end of the previous year. And he was like, I'm the guy that's been headlining all the dome shows all year long. And, you know, um, to really solidify myself, I need to beat this guy on the big stage in the big dome. And I agree with that. And I would love for that to happen. Yeah. Is it, but for me, yes, it's hard thinking that yeah, Okada would eat a third straight loss to Shingo. Oh, I don't think it's going to at all. I think uh, Okada is probably going to walk out as the guy. Um, there is a chance it could be Osprey just because Osprey's never really gotten that big definitive win over Okada. But it, it kind of feels like Okada is going to beat both of them. Considering you know Wrestle Kingdom last year, yeah. Japanese NJ fan said. Also, another question: Do you guys have any fantasy bookings for the Dome on January fourth? If you guys do, let us please hear us. Uh, keeping a strong style forever. You guys are the best. Well, thank you, uh, Red Eater Japanese NJ fan. Um, I don't know if I have like a fantasy. I mean, I have a, a idea of what I think is going to happen. So I think, obviously, we have, we have an official. January 4th is Okada Shingo. I think Okada is going to win that. I think this weekend at Battle in the Valley, there's going to be an angle where um, Shingo, Okada, and Osprey all confront each other. I think Osprey is going to say that he wants the winner on January 5th so they can solve who the real champion is. So Okada beat Shingo on January 4th and then it'll be Okada Osprey January 5th and Okada will beat Osprey and then he will keep his promise to Ibushi and challenge Ibushi for January 8th for the third night of Wrestle Kingdom uh, I guess that would kind of make sense I don't really have strong feelings about the, uh, the fantasy booking it's a great question I, I always I'm never good at these fantasy booking questions. The one thing that gives me pause though, is the fact that there's three quote unquote champions and, you know, I didn't quite expect them to maybe necessarily do the G one winner against the uh, world champion night one. That kind of just 
amalgamates the two belts into one right off the bat, right? Right. You still got two more nights to fill. Um, they could definitely do something like what you described. I'm not discounting that at all. And it's probably a more likelihood. But there's a part of me that's wondering about with everything that's going on with Rocky wrestling uh, Danielson on um, Dynamite next uh, tomorrow evening. Um, probably by the time people listen to the show, they'll see that happening. And then, you know, there's the reports of like Okada and Ishii are going over early before, you know, like kind of super early before they even need to like be at Battle of the Valley. And then they're not coming back right away. And then you're hearing names like Punk dropped and Danielson dropped. And I'm like, with the travel restrictions being lifted, is there any chance? And I mean, I know I'm I'm not trying to be that wishful thinking guy, but there's a part of me that's like the conspiracy theorist. It's like, maybe they are gearing up for some sort of special AEW interaction with New Japan that could play out on that third or second Wrestle Kingdom night, you know? Yeah, I did hear a crazy theory. So, you know, AEW, they're getting ready. They're going to have like their first uh, TNT special next year. Like, they're, uh, right? It's rumored it's going to be like a Battle of the Belts. It's going to be the name of it. And I think it's all set for January 8th. So what if they use, they like did an AW, sh- AW New Japan show on January 8th and filmed that for the TNT special? But that wouldn't make sense because the third night of Russell came was like a day or so before that. Uh, yeah, I guess that wouldn't, I guess depending on when that date, their official date would air, I don't know if it would work out, yeah. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't know about that Battle of the Belts. You know, you know where Battle of the Belts comes from, right? Isn't that like a Crockett thing or WCW thing? It's a championship wrestling from Florida thing. Mm. Um, there's a real, there's, there's a really good uh, Barry Windham versus Ric Flair match from 86. Like five, uh, four and three quarters, five-star match. It does go to a double count out, but boy, is it fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but that's all I got to say on that one. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BV did ask us. He said it was Shingo Takagi because there's Gokata main eventing on January 4th. This is a huge win for Ultimo Dragon and the Dragon System. <laughs> And uh, yes and yes. Yeah, long live the Dragon System. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You think about Dragon Gate, Torimon, you know, uh, the training that was given to both those guys and, you know, the systems that they went through prior to New Japan. And I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just spinning it. Um, MJ Does PR asked, they can't do three days uh, to wrestle King with this roster, can they? They've got to have some of some imports or a plan. Please tell us they have a plan. Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we're not the bookers. We're, we're not in the room. But, I mean, we have heard, obviously, with this being the 50th year, the company wants to do a lot of big things. They want to have a lot of big surprises. They are very hopeful for Wrestle Kingdom that they can get imports into the country and for some big matches. Don't know who that could possibly be. I know earlier in the year there was rumors of maybe – Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. Um, also now that with Brian Danielson out, there's rumors of him being there. So there's, there's a ton of guys that would make sense to kind of come over. But, I mean, also, as we've seen with 2021, a lot of New Japan's plans have kind of gone up in the smoke due to COVID, injuries, uh, people leaving the country. 
Um, so who knows what they actually have planned right now, if it will actually work out. Nice. Well, let's move on to the next subject here. Yeah, so Tetsuya Naito at the same press conference, he made his return and announced that he would be returning for the World Tag League, which will be starting on November 14th. He announced that he would be teaming with Sonata during the conference. Naito said that he injured his knee during his first match in the G1 against Zack Sabre Jr. back in September. This caused him to miss the rest of the tournament, officially scoring a 0-9 record. Naito said that while he was mentally preparing for torn ligaments, in his knee that would have required surgery. Instead, there was in fact no ligament damage and would be able to return to the ring quickly. He also assured people that he was not rushing back to the ring. Viking Pain asked, did Naito really injure his knee or was it all an elaborate work to get this man a two-month vacation and make CSJ look like a killer? I mean, that is like the, the ultimate conspiracy theory being floated around. I, I fucking love it if that's the case. <laughs> You know, pro wrestling is a work, and these if these motherfuckers worked all of us, kudos to them. Right, I mean, especially, like, if they were going to do something like that, like, this is, like, the perfect year to do it, because, obviously, they couldn't pack buildings for the G1. They were having, you know, low, like, half or low attendance anyway, so. They heard, they heard all of our listeners, you know, writing in on their ballots Tetsuya Naito's name as the winner of the G1, and they're like, fuck all that noise. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Uh, that's really funny. Um, Rambo and Slam Pig said, why would they put Naito in the World Tag League coming back from an injury that took him out of the G1? I know they need to sell tickets, but wouldn't keeping him fresh for something at Wrestle Kingdom make more sense? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it was me, I'll say I think guys like Naito and Tanahashi, who is in Tag League, I, I think both of those guys could also use some rest and, and get ready for Wrestle Kingdom. But at the same time, I do hear, you know, the best thing for wrestling is to wrestle and also yep. it, it's it's a tag league and he's not gonna have to go super hard obviously i mean him and sonata will probably end up being one of the best teams in there but i think he will be able to kind of rest in a tag scenario and not completely kill himself come on guys this is the world tag league and it's not even the world tag league in like 2018 it's the world tag league in 2021 <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't think I need to spell it out any more than that. And it's Tetsuya Naito. If you think this man isn't wrestling, uh, how many nights are they going? Uh, I'm not sure the the full tour of this. I think it ends like December 15th. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. If, if, if you don't think that this man isn't wrestling 95% of those shows with a t-shirt on, then you're crazy. This man is <laughs> going to hardly tag in. And when he does, he's going to do the safest shit that there possibly is. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Plus, think about it. What what can he do at Wrestle Kingdom with no build between now and Wrestle Kingdom? He needs this World Tag League to build whatever it is he's doing, which I think is a dead giveaway for what me and Jeremy probably think is going to happen in this World Tag League. Right. Well, uh, speaking of World Tag League and best of the Super Juniors, we had the teams and lineups revealed the last couple days and well we had a question for pca 91 yeah so i was leading to uh pca 91 oh, my asked, bad. <laughs> sorry asked why do you think the participants and match lineups for best of super junior and world tag league weren't announced at the same time i found it very strange that we got the full list list of participants and match cards for best of super junior first but no news about world tag league until the next day hence my original question of why no world tag league news as of yet also do you think a bigger deal 
to have been made about these announcements, given that they just seem to drop them on a random Monday and Tuesday at strange times in the day. I, I don't know when they dropped, to be honest, and I don't know how that relates to the domestic time over there. PSAN 91, you probably know better than we do uh, as far as that goes. But Yeah, so the I, junior stuff was dropped on Monday, early Monday morning, our time, and it had the full lineup, the, the match cards, all that stuff. And then, yeah, there was a whole full day until they announced the World Tag League. Don't know if they were trying to finalize something if they were trying to what they were trying to work on something but yeah i mean that's possible maybe they're finalizing something maybe they wanted to put emphasis on each individual group of talent and shows and everything like that separately to kind of you know create double buzz i don't know you know i I, we don't have those answers but uh i don't think it's that strange honestly yeah so let's talk about the lineups for both of these tournaments. So first, the best of the Super Junior Tournament, which will be kicking off at Cork and Hall this Saturday. And the finals will be at Sumo Hall on Wednesday, December 15th. Once again, it is a single block tournament. we got 12 participants uh, and obviously two wrestlers who gained the most points will be facing off in the finals. So for this year... We have the current reigning IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, El Sparado. We have Sho, Hiromu Takahashi, Yo, Master Wato, El Fantasmo, Risuke Taguchi, Robbie Eagles, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Taiji Ishimori, Bushi, and Doki. Yeah. I mean, this uh, this group is... Uh, we had gotten some inside intel from... Uh, uh, someone knowledgeable with the company as to who was going to be involved in this tournament probably a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so. Yeah. And, um, you know, because we were kind of speculating some different options, you know, some of the U.S. talent guys, maybe they could come over, maybe Dragon Lee. And we were kind of told, nope, this is who it is. <laughs> and it ended up being exactly who we were told it was going to be. So, you know, um, I guess that's good. Our sources are credible. Uh even though we didn't want them to be, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's kind of unfortunate in the past we've done full on full presentation episodes. I mean, we've already gone like, uh, you know, around two hours at this point on the show. And I, you know, it's not like we, we're doing letter grades, we're doing percentages of who's going to win or whatever, but um, you know, my quick thoughts on it are there's a lot of talent here, but there's not a lot that really excites me. I think, for the most part, we, I mean, we've seen all these guys in this same tournament. Is this the exact same lineup almost as last year? No, Phantasma was not in it last year. And I don't think that Kanamaru was in it last year. I think he was hurt. That's fine. But we've seen them both in uh, Super Juniors in the past. So it's not anything new. I I think we'll, we may be getting some. You know, we don't have Sam's on the line, so I couldn't tell you how many fir- first-time matches are actually happening, but I bet you there's very few of them, you know? Right. Um, but overall, I mean, you got quite a few ex-champions, mostly domestic talent. Sho and Yo will be facing off again in this tournament, which is, a, you know, that's a big storyline to kind of keep an eye on. Um, Desperado's coming in as champion, which means the likelihood of him winning as champion is extremely low um you got the most recent former champions in hiromu and eagles coming into the tournament and being favorites i would assume plus 
they're facing off against one another on the final night, which, you know, we don't usually like to be those guys who are just looking at the final night and kind of trying to, you know, figure out what that means. But I think that's very telling as to what the finals might look like. That's probably like a deciding match for one of those two guys to go into the final, essentially. Right. And that was kind of something I was saying last week. I was like, I think, yeah, Despi, with Despi winning, we're going to get an eagles Hiromu finals, and then Hiromu's going to win, and you get Hiromu Despi at Wrestle Kingdom. The only thing with that, and I'm just now realizing, though, is um, – let me see here. So, Okay. Because I thought we have all the nights listed here, right? No, I just no? Ha- I just have the the first two nights, which will be happening before the next uh, keeping a strong cell. They're facing off on the final night, but the whoever has the most points at the end of the tournament is going to end up facing off in a final after that, right? Right. So I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be likely that Eagles and Hiromu face off on the final night against one another and then still end up in the finals against each other. Right. So that might actually throw a wrench in what we might've been thinking previously. So my guess is someone like Hiromu and basically Hiromu and Eagles will be two of the top leaders going into the final night. One of them will beat the other one. I'm guessing Hiromu is probably going to knock Eagles out on that evening. And go on to face someone like El Phantasma or Show in the finals. Yeah, I could definitely see Show also winning the Never Six Man and being, um, you know, this new heel turn and um, House of Torture that can definitely do him facing off Hiromu on the 15th. But for me, you know, just to kind of make it simple, Hiromu Desperado. They were, you know, they've been an ongoing generational rivalry. <laughs> they faced off against one another in probably what's going to be one of the leading candidates for junior match of the year last year at the uh, close of the Super Juniors. And they haven't faced off for the gold uh, with Desperado at the helm as champion. And you got to figure the, the winner of this tournament goes on to face the champion at Wrestle Kingdom this year, just like last year. Desperado being the champion, the most attractive matchup on paper. And, you know, um, as far as like money goes, it's got to be him and Hiromu. So I'm just going to take a wild stab and say Hiromu's probably winning this thing. Yeah. And I was looking at that um, that final block and I see who else. I mean, uh, Phantasmo and Despi are facing off that night. Um, so that, that could potentially be one of that's facing Hiromu and Eagles. That seems like the likelihood. It seems like to me, Phantasmo beats Desperado, and then Hiromu beats Eagles, and we've got three nights to fill. And what if potentially Hiromu wins the tournament, right? Right. And he's going to get it, but they've got to fill two or three nights. So what if Hiromu's going to fight Desperado, but before he fights Desperado, ELP's going to finagle his way into a title shot because he even though he didn't win the tournament he has a pinfall victory over Despy. yeah i mean that could that's that could easily be what they do that's just what i'm thinking i mean i don't know uh, you you have any theories here i mean I, are we in agreement we both think chrome is winning this thing yeah i mean i think it makes so. the most sense he's the biggest star he needs to be in a big match wrestle kingdom and we're going to take your guys questions as time 
goes on, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some interest in the super juniors. I mean, are there any big, big money matches that you're looking at or any, anything in particular that kind of stands out to you? Anything you're looking forward to? Uh, I mean, show and yo is obviously going to be a big match with the recent breakup and turn and the angle of that power struggle. I think that's going to be a match to circle. Also, Hiromu Despi, uh, they're going to face off. Also, the big rematch from the match they had last year, I think will be something to look out for. Um, I mean, Doki, just looking out for Doki, also he's not going back to to the Indies of Mexico. And he's going to kill himself. So I think whoever he faces is going to be great. Doki and Hiromu, their match last year was great. So that that's going to be probably his best match to look out for. ELP versus Ishimori, I don't know if they've wrestled one-on-one as – both bull club members before that kind of seems intriguing to me. Yeah, that could be fun. Also, um, Eagles and Phantasmo, there's obviously history there. Eagles and Taiji, there's history there as well. So those could be interesting. Yeah. But there's, there's not really too much here that really like, uh, stands out to me. It's like, Oh man, I've got to see this or that. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, I think a lot of people will be watching Desperado just cause he's champion and, his matches interactions are going to tell us a lot about the outcome of the tournament. So, um, you know, single block tournament. Uh, we have night one and night two pulled up. Do you want to go through this or no? Yeah, we just go through. I don't know if we want, we have, we need to make predictions, but we can just uh, say the lineup. So we got on night one, which is November the 13th, Bushi versus Doki Ishimori versus Kanemaru Taguchi versus Eagles Phantasma versus Wato. Roma versus Yo and Desperado versus Show in the main event. That's kind of interesting, you know. First night, big upsets usually. Um, so Despy Show headlining, that's a good one. And then Oiwa versus Nakashima is going to be the Young Line match opening the next night. We have Fujita versus Oiwa opening. Doki versus Yo, Taguchi versus Bushi, Eagles versus Wato, Kanemaru versus Phantasmo. Hiromu Takahashi versus Show, and then Ishimori versus Desperado. And again, it looks like Desperado is going to be doing a lot more headlining this year versus the way it was last year, where we were very Hiromu heavy almost the whole tournament. Right, and that's another part of my reasoning of like why I thought he was going to win. I didn't think they were going to put Eagles in a lot of these main events, and so having Despy there makes a ton of sense. And especially with the popularity he got from the tournament last year, I think he'll be a big drawing card this year. Awesome. Well, moving on, New Japan has announced the teams for this year's World Tag League, which will be taking place concurrently with the best Super Juniors. The full list of teams is as follows. We have Tanahashi and Yano teaming up. Great Bash Hill, Togi Makabe and Tomoaki Hanma. Ten Cozy, Yuji Nagata and Tiger Mask, Team Olds on top. <laughs> Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi of Chaos. Tetsuya Naito and Sonata from LIJ. The Dangerous Techers, Minoru Suzuki, and the return of Taka Michinoku. Zack you know. Seba time. <laughs> so, Suzuki Goon team, Great O'Connor, and Aaron Hanare, not Jeff Cobb of United Empire, the Gorillas of Destiny, Evil and Yujiro Takahashi of the House of Torture subunit, and finally, Bad Luck Fale making his return, teaming along Chase Owens for the Bullet Club. Yeah, I mean, again, not a inspiring lineup here. I mean, they did the best that they could with not being able to bring anybody into the country. I mean, you can see they had to kind of force some things here. I mean, 
Tiger Mask as a junior in a heavyweight tag team tournament and sticking him with Nagata. And it's a poor Tiger Mask was originally supposed to be, you know, available as an alternate for the Super Juniors, but they had nobody else. They had to be here with Nagata. There's rumors that Ibushi was supposed to be uh, Nagata's partner in this tournament. And then uh, bringing back uh, Taka Michinoku, which there's also reports that there is some in the locker room not happy with the return of Taka. And this is a, a Dick Togo influence. Dick Togo has been uh, lobbying for a Taka return uh, to the company this year, and he finally got his wish. So Taka back in the fold here, teaming with Suzuki. And the plans are he's not, as of right now, not booked for anything after this tournament, but we'll see what happens. There's a lot of guys in in that locker room that have committed infidelity. Several of them are coaches, trainers, veterans within the company. I mean, come on. I don't know. Um, I don't want to speak too much to the politics, but I mean, you know, it's not like you should end a guy's career. I don't know. It's a different culture, so who knows? But, uh, yeah, I mean, some interesting things here, like we talked about. Um, Aaron Hernari against Great O'Conn as opposed to Jeff Cobb. That's interesting. You know, because uh, all year Okan and Cobb have been a very, very dominating tag team. Yeah. Minoru Suzuki sort of making his return to the tournament. He's kind of one of those major single stars that may or may not kind of warrant presence in this type of tournament. Um, he's always kind of in it, but it's sort of like, you know, I, I didn't necessarily expect him to be in it. But uh, Tetsuya Naito being in, kind of making his return to the tournament team with Sonata, I know that they were tag champions this year but that sort of seemed like a short-lived thing and instead we're getting you know a continuation of that team very interesting um like you mentioned the tiger mask thing and then um tanahashi teaming with toriano that's you know a hantai group member teaming with chaos member uh two guys that haven't even always gotten along necessarily so that's sort of a strange you know can they coexist sort of pairing right and i feel also you know normally tomohiro ishii would probably be teaming with Yano, but Ishii's going to be in the States. He's going to be on Battle in the Valley. He has a couple indie dates already booked for the month of November as well. Yeah, and Tanahashi is another one of those guys. Like, we've seen him in the tournament in the past, but we've also seen him not be in the tournament, along with Naito, along with Suzuki. Um, you know, so there's some inclusion of some major players here that, you know, some late. I mean, there was a time where all the major top stars were in this tournament, but past four or five years hasn't been that way. It's been mostly just predominantly tag teams. So, you know, some interesting things here. Um, my thinking, and I'll just shoot from the hip, I think Naito and Sonata are going to win. And the main reason why is because Naito doesn't have like a world title shot on deck. Uh, he doesn't have anything necessarily going for him as far as like singles feuds or major title matches. Uh, major grudge matches. They could obviously anything could change between now and these three Wrestle Kingdom shows. But as of right now, it just sort of seems like uh, it would make all the sense in the world for him and Sonata to win. The guy who quote unquote eliminated him from the tournament, Zack Saber Jr. He's one of the one half of the reigning IWGP Tag Team Champions. Um, so there's sort of an, a revenge angle there, you know, and there's heat. Naito and Sonata are stars. We've seen 
times when they mat, match up two guys that are both upper mid card slash star type level guys do really well in this tournament. And I, I just don't see Naito and Sonata eating too many losses from the likes of Tinkozi or Nagata Tiger Mask. So um, my feeling is they're going to win this tournament and they're going to go on and face the dangerous techers in the dome. I, I think it's plus they've already had a, uh, a history of matches with one another and have had great matches. So, you know, why not run it back? Yeah. So very interesting on the last night for them. So Sonata and Naito, they're facing off against evil in Utero. So obviously a little rivalry renewed there. Uh, G.O.D. and United Empire facing off in the last night and Techers are facing off against Yoshihashi and Goto. Which that's another strong team who always does well in these types of tournaments. And they were in um, the the three way at a Grand Slam. Yeah, and you know God obviously is a strong team, and you've got to imagine Okan and Hanari are going to be uh, booked pretty strong as well. And I, I bet you Evil and Yujiro probably will be to some extent too. So uh, I know Yujiro's there, and he could probably beat Evil's Pinfall Eater, but I don't see them being as unlucky as evil's team was say last year so i think that those are probably the six teams you got to look out for anyways right so i think yeah, any combination of those could get to the finals but also i do think it's not a naito are going to find themselves in the finals um against some team i don't know what would make the most sense maybe goto and yoshihashi run that back and then wrestle kingdom you do naito and Sonata against dangerous techers so November and so we're we're pretty much in agreement. That's what's happening. Yes. November fourteenth, night one of World Tag League, Fujita versus Nakashima singles action to open. Then we have the Dangerous Techers against Suzuki Goon, Tiger Mask and Nagata against Tenkoji, Gorillas of Destiny against Great Bash Heel, the Bull Club team of Folly and Owens against United Empire, Yoshi or uh, Tanahashi and Yano against House of Torture, and then. Chaos team of Goto and Yoshihashi against LIJ in the main event. Uh, we had some questions here. Um, Less Commission 7252 said, with both of the best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League lineups out, which field looks more interesting? I believe that the World Tag League is superior with the five new pairings debuting in this league. Having Fale back and more importantly, Taka, this could be the best tag league I've seen in years. Uh, I don't know about the best tag league in years. Also, we, we've watched the, the last five uh, world tag leagues uh, for keeping a strong style. Um, and we, we've seen some stronger lineups. You know, I, I would definitely welcome back a, a war machine um, and, and teams like that. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I don't really share in that. I, I mean, if, if, just across the board, I'm always going to prefer uh, Super Juniors over World Tag League lineup, even though I do agree this isn't the most inspired Super Juniors um, lineup. I, I'll take it any day over Taka and Fale. Yeah, I would definitely take the uh, Super Junior lineup. I just think that we're probably, match quality watch, we're probably going to get better matches from that tournament, even though I'm, I am curious to see the, the interactions between Saber and Taka now that he's uh, back in the fold here. Dom Homie 101 said, thoughts on this year's lineup of both the best of the Super Juniors and Tag League. Which lineup is better? Which tournament are you looking forward to? What matches are you guys looking forward to? So I think we kind of gave our, our thoughts on the lineup, and we we think that the, the Super Junior is probably going to end up being better than the World Tag League. 
Um, let's do let's do this. Top match that you're most excited for in the Super Juniors right now. Uh Hiromu Despi. Um I got to say for me show yo. Mm. Um just cuz, you know, uh I don't know what to really to expect there but there's heat so you know, yeah. there's something to sink my teeth into. For tag league, is there one match that stands out? Something that you're excited for? Uh, Lij versus Techers. It's a great. That's a great pick. Uh, I think for me, I'm gonna say Techers against Suzuki and Taka. Um, people kind of forget how good of a wrestler Taka can be, and every year for some reason, the Dangerous Techers against Minoru Suzuki and Friends match always seems to deliver on a super high level. It has for two years straight, and I think that they should, they're going to continue that. And it always ends up being like the highlight of the tag league. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely should be a fun match. And definitely some interesting interactions with, with Taka and Saber and Tai Chi. Pussy Destroyer 83619 said, P.S. I couldn't care less about World Tag League. Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, P.S.S. Do you think World Tag League? should just be scrapped. If New Japan adds both junior and heavyweight tag scenes together, it's still a joke. Oh no, I can't I can't I can't uh sign on that. Yeah, I don't think the, the World Tag League should be scrapped at all. I think it has its place and its purpose. Obviously it's um a lot better when you can actually get some outside teams in. You gotta think if there was no pandemic we'd be getting Aussie open uh, we'd, be, we'd be getting some teams from Strong. We'd be getting West Coast Wrecking Crew, Team Filthy, um, Dickinson and Brody King, Violence Unlimited. Like, we would be seeing, like, this tournament would probably be pretty exciting if there was no pandemic and people had visas and were able to get them over in time. Hmm. Well, that's going to do it for that. We've got uh, Battle of the Valley coming up this Saturday. November the 13th, and we've got a lineup for the show. We're going to have to go through this one quick because we're bumping up on time, but um, let's do a quick preview here. Uh, opening this show, we got Josh Alexander versus Yuya Yamura. I think we're both looking forward to that one. Yeah, I, I would say I would go with Josh Alexander winning just because he was recently just the, the former world champion. I agree, and uh, I think that that's one to really pay attention to. On the same card, we have the new TNA world champion or <laughs> impact world champion and moose uh taking on juice robinson's special singles match does moose show up with the title uh, i think he will i mean we've been seeing heavy partnership influence with new japan and impact as late i mean a, a ton of storylines kind of crossing over this show um so i think that moose is going to get the win since he's a champ uh, i'm gonna say there's some sort of non-finish here in classic territory style booking Mm. That will lead to because I think Moose is defending the title against uh, Josh Alexander pretty soon, right? I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I, th- I think there's a contenders match this week actually. That's like Eddie Edwards, Ryder, and somebody. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's who cares? It's Impact. So, <laughs> <laughs> Violence Unlimited team of Brody King and Chris Dickinson will be taking on the Straw uh, Stray Dog Army, Bateman and Mysterioso tag team action. Um, I think I'm going to go with Violence Unlimited here, but I, I don't know. It could go either way. I'm going with Violence Unlimited. They are pushed very heavily. Stray Dog Army, they really haven't done much yet since they've been a unit. Bateman and Mysterioso are good. This match could be pretty good. Yeah. Especially Brody King and uh, Bateman had that really good singles match during the tournament earlier this year. Yeah. Um, after that, we got Coglin 
Zane, Dave Finley, Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, 10-man tag team action taking on Team Filthy, Limelight, Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, Isaacs, and Lawler. And um, this one should be pretty good. Yeah, this is a preview for the strong openweight title match that will be happening at the Nation Tour that's happening after Battle in the Valley. They've been uh, building a roster up every week on strong. They they beat um, Team Filthy last week, him and Rocky. Um, so it will be a very heated matchup. I'm still I'm a little disappointed that they're not doing a, a strong title match again on a you know U.S. New Japan pay per view. But I got a theory that maybe the strong title is just defended at this point on strong. strong right, it. it's like the the TV title uh, essentially. Uh, yeah, but yeah, should be um, a fun match going with uh, the roster team. That would make sense, but at this point. Um, you know, the last time they did a preview like this on the big show, uh, uh, did Leo Rush's team win? I can't even remember. I believe they did, yeah. He would, they wouldn't necessarily need to win. I mean, as long as they do some sort of angle to keep the roster lawler, and, uh, yeah, you're you right. Know. And actually, yeah, Coglin's on that, on that, that bay face side, he's still a young line, so yeah, Coglin's probably eating the pin here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Coglin eats the the loss, but they keep Fred Rosser looking strong and Lawler looking, you know, kind of threatened at the end of the match. Yeah, um, that's yeah those guys are kind of brawling it towards the end. That's what I'm thinking. Um, next match, we have tag team action as Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks. They take on the team of the United Empire, Jeff Cobb and TJP. So a continuation here of the L.A. Dojo United Empire feud that's been uh, started ever since Osprey had arrived at Resurgence. These guys, have, this, these two units have been facing off several times now. Um, Narita and Connors got a big win over uh, Osprey and TJP on Strong, uh, but I, I still feel like this has been very heavily United Empire winning. Uh, TJP and Osprey did beat Connors and Fredericks in Dallas, but I mean it, it's Jeff Cobb. He just came off that monstrous G one. I think Cobb and TJP are going to get the win here. I think they you know, are the likely favorites, especially considering all the uh, stuff you mentioned. But, you know, it's not like TJP super protected and couldn't eat a manifest destiny if need be, you right, know? Right, yeah. TJP, he, he was pinned by Narita last week, so Connors or Fredericks could easily pin him as well. I'm going to agree with you and say the United Empire, but I don't know if that's the best booking decision in the in the sense that Connors and Fredericks need to be made to look a little bit stronger, maybe throw them a little bone on a show like this, but... You're probably right. It's probably going to be United Empire. Um, next match of the night, special singles match as the real world's champion, Will Ospreay, takes on our boy, Ren Narita. Yeah, good stuff here. Uh, Ren Narita cutting a post-match promo from Strong saying, you know, Ospreay, I don't want your fake title. Like you, <laughs> like you had to vacate that. That's not real. I'm going to beat you and give that belt back because you're not a real champion. I just want to focus on beating you. So a lot of good stuff here with uh, L.A. Dojo again, United Empire, and Arita kind of being the you know the flag bearer for the L.A. Dojo here. These guys had a great match, uh, Best Super Junior 2019. I think this will be a great matchup as well, but obviously I'm going with Osprey with the win here. I'm going with Osprey as well, but I just, I'm so excited for this, and I cannot wait. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, semi-main event, we have a special singles match as the Rainmaker, Kazushiko Okada, takes on no longer a secret, Buddy Matthews, fresh off of his free agency from WWE. Fresh out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And uh, we have a lot of questions here, so let's just jump into those. Viking Paint said, with Buddy Murphy getting such a high-profile match with Okada, do you think this could be a sign that he's going to New Japan? Well, I mean, I, I think he, with him to speak on the show, it's a sign that he's going to New Japan. They did a vignette for him on, on Strong this week. He's getting this big match with Okada. It seems like they have big plans for uh, Buddy here in the future. Yeah, I've made jokes in the past on this show and in private about Buddy Matthews being a 205 guy, but he's anything but that. And You know, he's a special talent. I mean, this guy is really, really, really top level. You know, I, I don't know how WWE dropped the ball with him, but that seems to be the story with them and pretty much everybody. Yeah. And um, this match should be incredible. Um, I would love to see him continue to work with New Japan in some capacity. Hawaiian Punch BV said, is Buddy Matthews going to steal Jeff Cobb's gimmick of stealing finishers? I mean, he already stole the Kamigoye. Well, I mean, Buddy's pretty much uh, been cosplaying Kenny Omega, throwing V V triggers, doing, you know, a lot of Kenny's moves, Abushi's moves, and so. I, that's all fine. I didn't like when he hit the big boot and the leg drop, though. Um, That's been my one gripe with him. (laughs) What did he do that? I'm just playing. He never did that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, cosplay wrestler. I mean, essentially, this is like the, the next Omega Okada right here. Yeah, this is number five. You know, <laughs> that's what we were going to get in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Dom Homie 101 said, thoughts on Buddy Matthews on facing the greatest talent in this modern era, the Rainmaker? I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity, a great platform. I mean, Buddy Matthews has a lot to prove. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He's going to show, you know, WWE, the talent they squandered. I think it's going to be a sub- big statement for him here a performance here it could get him a long-term deal with new japan we could see him you know in in g1s and getting some more title opportunities so definitely a big big moment here for him mj does pr says buddy matthews is getting a big time spot versus okada what do you think this means for his future role on the roster uh, again, yeah, just another great opportunity, I think, for a future role. I mean, he's a guy that's going to be positioned, I think, very highly on the card, especially on Strong. I think they're going to try and utilize that WWE name and experience to to help, you know, draw and bring eyes to Strong. And, again, he's going to be somebody that could be plugged into a G1, U.S. title contender, uh, never title contender. He's, he's going to be slotted pretty high, it seems like. The one thing Buddy Matthews has never shown himself to be, uh, you know, completely strong in is promoing. But, hey, it's New Japan Pro Wrestling. You don't need to be a strong promo, especially if you're a foreign uh, speaker. And the things that do need to, you do need to be good at, your look, your intensity, your realism, your athleticism, you know, your gas tank your ability to wrestle and he, this guy's got it in strides and it's, it is telling you a big thing in the fact that they entrusted him to wrestle on a big U S show on pay-per-view against the ACE of the company. Who's about to literally go wrestle, you know, in the Tokyo dome in short order. So, I mean, yeah, I think it means that they've got big, bright future plans for this guy um, within the company and, you know, there's a reason it's not someone like Leo Rush and Tom Waller or Chris Dickinson. You know, those guys are great, but I mean, take that for what it for what it what it means to you. You know, th- as great as those guys are, they're not the ones who are getting it in this position. It's Buddy Matthews, night one, getting it. So someone likes him somewhere. You know, right? Main event, never open weight title match. 
with the stipulation, if Ishii loses, he can never challenge for the never title ever again. We got the champion Jay White defending against, uh, against Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, very interesting main event. We saw this angle build from the resurgence show in August, and then they followed the angle up with the strong tapings uh, the next day. And uh, soon several promos from both of these guys. And I mean, this is one a main event that literally is 50 50. I don't feel strong in either way. I do think it would be a tragedy if Ishii could never challenge for the Never title again. I mean, that title's been synonymous with him for majority of his career. Um, I, th- I think I'm going to ride with, with Ishii on this one. Yeah, I, I'm i going to agree with you. Um, the, when I think about Wrestle Kingdom and I think about Jay White rolling into Wrestle Kingdom and I am feeling very confident he's going to be involved with Wrestle Kingdom in some form or fashion. And when I think about what he would do at Wrestle Kingdom with that title, there are possibilities, but part of me feels like he might somehow get wrapped up in the three, three way title picture somehow, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good look carrying that never title there. So if Ishii beats him, especially if it's under some sort of like, let's say Ishii doesn't do anything to cheat, but like, let's say someone just somehow interferes in the match, which seems like it might be possible or or inevitable. I wouldn't be surprised if there's something that ends up maybe popping off between Jay White and Osprey on this show in some way. Yeah, somewhat, that wouldn't be somewhat that could happen. I mean, but we've also seen plenty of times guys lose up, especially from a never yeah. seen. We've seen guys drop the never belt one night and then become, you know, IC or World Title challengers the next night. The only thing that gives me pause is the fact that. Uh, you know, that there's not a lot of time to build something between now and then. So it, it might re- rely on some creativity either on the U.S. shows or social media or videos or press conferences, something like that, because obviously he's not on World Tag League or anything like that. So um, we'll see what happens. But I think if he loses, like you mentioned, he might lose up. And, I mean, I just can't imagine Ishii never being able to challenge for the Never title again. But if they do, you know, hats off to them. He had a some amazing runs with the belt and uh you know that's a pretty compelling storyline either way so yeah yeah and i could definitely see ishii defending the never title on dynamite ishii and jay white have knocked out of the park so many times against one another so this match is going to be great plus we've already seen the kind of drawing power that uh jay white has in california with a particular type of fan base so i'm sure this is going to be a that's the one thing i'm wondering about are we going to see a very pro, a heavily pro Jay White crowd that's anti Ishii? Is it going to be Bizarro World? You know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But um, you know, this show is running literally at eleven o'clock Eastern time, so that'll be uh, what time? What? Oh, it's eleven Eastern for us. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's what seven, eight. I think that's eight. Uh, Pacific. 8 p.m. Pacific, yeah. So it's going to be starting just as the uh, AEW pay-per-view ends. So, I mean, for for you rascals that are going to watch both back-to-back, you know, hats off to you. <laughs> right, and remember, uh, English will be on Fight TV live, and then English will be on demand on New Japan World, but it will be Japanese commentary live on NJPW World. I don't know if I'd pay for that fight pay-per-view after all the bad reports last time. 
Yeah, take take. Yeah, it's up to you if you want to risk it. But but NJPW Strong ran this past weekend, November sixth, eight p.m. Eastern. We had three matches of action. Yep, so this was the first night of the showdown tour in the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, the ECW Arena. Show opened up. We had Team Filthy of Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, and Royce Isaacs, um, and Dane Limelight joined commentary, and the Team Filthy team, they defeated Alex Coughlin, David Finley, and Yuya Uomura. This was a fun opener six-man match. There was a, a lot of great uh, power spots between J.R. Kratos and Alex Coughlin. The match built to Coughlin finally being able to hit a big uh, scoop slam on J.R. Kratos. But the team, Filthy Team, is a more uh, concise unit. They, they're more familiar with each other. They're able to use their uh, teamwork to uh, beat the Hontai team here of Coughlin, Finley, and Yumora. Then the second matchup, we had the flamboyant Juice Robinson. He defeated El Fantasmo. Match was good. There was a couple of miscommunications here between Juice and ELP. It looks like there was like the ring might have been a little bit slippery at some point too. There's there's a couple spots that that were kind of blown and missed, but overall fine match up here. Uh, Juice gets the win and post match he calls out Moose for Battle in the Valley, which we just uh, talked about, and then the big main event here was. Clark Connors and Renarita of the LA jo- Dojo defeating the United Empire team of TJP and Will Ospreay. A uh, very good hard-hitting match here. Uh, Ospreay had a bullseye on his back, and Narita was just constantly on him throughout this match. Um, Narita ends up getting the win. It's the Narita special number four, which is that overheaded belly. The belly on TJP. Uh, post-match, they uh, put a beat down on Connors and Narita, but then... Uh, Osprey goes for the hidden blade. Narita plays possum, gets back up, gives a big boot to the face of Osprey, and then sits in the ring in the Shibata uh, cross leg pose. And like I mentioned in his uh, comments earlier, calling Osprey's titles fake, wants no part of his title, just wants to beat Osprey come battle in the valley. And of course, Osprey firing back, calling him a you know a Shibata wannabe and still a young boy. Awesome. Well, this coming Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, we've got NJPW Strong. This will be the second of three New Japan shows on that same day. Yeah. Um, we've got four matches of action. We have 205 Live Legend Arya <laughs> Divari taking <laughs> on <laughs> taking on Alex Zane in singles action. Tag team action as Tom Lawler and Danny Limelight take on the team of Fred Rosser and Rocky Romero. Semi-main event, Jay White will be fighting Fred Yehai. Uh, so he's pulling uh, double duty that day, yeah. fighting <laughs> Yehai and then fighting Ishii. That's a, man, two tough customers. <laughs> that that really l- lends me to believe Ishii's going to win even more, actually. Yeah. Then the main event, we've got a uh, grudge match as Minoru Suzuki wrestles one-on-one with Chris Dickinson. We've heard great things about this match and uh, very excited to see you know that one play out. Uh, there's also a little bit of intrigue this week as NJPW Extra came out, the second episode. Uh, if you haven't seen this, kind of like a recap show that Chris Charlton's doing on YouTube on the official NJPW US uh, YouTube channel. And along with that uh, show this week, they released a special singles match from the, the recent uh, Strong tapings as Will Ospreay took on Alex Zane, the recently released Alex Zane. In singles mat uh, action, 11 minutes, 14 seconds. 
And I just watched this match right before we got on the air. And I got to tell you, I was not impressed. Yeah, I watched it uh, also earlier this afternoon before we recorded. And, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fun matchup. But, obviously, with both those things involved, you would think it would be uh, better of a matchup. Like you mentioned in the group chat, I think it just showed that Alex Zane is just not on Will Ospreay's level and just what the caliber of uh, wrestler that Ospreay is. I think Alex Zane is very, very good, and uh, he can do all the things he was trying to do in the match he can do, but doing them at the speed and proficiency that Will does them at that pace of the match, he couldn't keep up, you know? Um, and it's interesting because he's been wrestling for quite a bit longer than Will Ospreay has, and they even mentioned that at, during the commentary. Also, the commentary was terrible. Uh, this Matt Morris, uh, you know, um, Kozlov team is not good. <laughs> yeah. But I also am critical of just the fact that they even uploaded a match like this onto Extra. I, I don't see the point of uploading a match that you've barely advertised on YouTube as like a, I don't know, almost like a hidden Easter, Easter egg, like instead of just putting it on strong. I mean, I'm sure the YouTube subs are not going to equate to what maybe a New Japan World sub would have been for a big match on Strong. I don't know. Uh, just seems weird. It seems the weird part is like I don't even think it would equate to anything extra on either. But at least for the fans that really love New Japan, they know to watch it on Strong. But like, who the fuck knows to go to YouTube and watch it on Extra Number Two? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like hidden. Right, like I, if you if you hadn't sent it to me, I wouldn't even have known about this. Like I don't know how many fans even know about. I'm also, we talked about it, but the general fan base, I don't know if they even know about NJPW Extra or even watching it. So, well, the match is, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those weird things where it's like you'd be surprised it even happened. So it's worth checking out in that respect. Um, I went like three and a quarter on it, eleven minutes. You know, they probably could have a much much better match considering the talent involved, but I it wasn't that great. Yeah. Uh, we've got news items here. Jay White had an interview with Sean Ross App. Yeah, so this interview happened um, it happened over the weekend, but it was came out today on YouTube. And you know, Jay obviously hyping up the Battle in the Valley match with Ishii. I have not watched the the full interview, but I know kind of the big talking points. Uh, Sean Ross App asked him about uh, AEW, WWE, and his uh, his whole contract situation, and he expressed that he has never talked to anybody in AEW. He expressed that there, there was interest from WWE and that he never signed a long-term contract with New Japan. And then reports came out that he was uh, working uh, in, in this interview and was trying to work over Sean Ross Sapp, and not everything he was saying was true. Yeah, so um, I don't really know what to say about all that. Um, you know, when Jay White's uh, <laughs> whole contract situation came up last January, we talked about it extensively. Whether it was a work or not a work or Sean Ross Apps getting worked or we're getting worked or Dave's getting worked or, you know, uh, the management at AEW got work. I don't know. I, I really don't know. It, it, something doesn't seem to add up. So I don't, I don't know. I don't give a fuck. The <laughs> one thing I will tell you is, they squandered whatever goodwill and opportunity they had during that one to two month period where Jay White was literally the hottest quote unquote, maybe free agent in the sport. So I don't even feel like really spending a lot of time thinking about that. Cause I'm like, you guys fucked it up anyways. Right. 
<laughs> but uh, I will listen to that. Um, I'm interested in listening to that interview, so maybe I'll play it tomorrow during work on uh, X2 Speed because that's where what I listen to, you know, YouTube videos on. Man, you, the first podcast, now the YouTube videos. <laughs> I, I do that on YouTube videos. I'm not actively watching. I'm just listening. On podcasts, I'm at like 2.5 now. Damn, I, I, I'm like a smooth, I like the one and a half. I don't like going above the one and a half. I got too much shit to, you know, <laughs> consume. Kazuchika Okada is on the ballot for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Yep. Probably going, he's probably going in first ballot Hall of Fame with the majority of the vote. Yeah, if you have a ballot and you don't vote for Okada, uh, something's something's wrong with you, man. Monday's free match of the week, Hiromu Takahashi versus El Desperado, 2020 Best Super Junior Finals. Great match. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Will Ospreay versus Shota Umino was announced for the British Heavyweight Championship. Uh, it is official at Repro Uprising, November 21st. So, you know, before Wrestle Kingdom and all that, Ospreay's got a big hurdle in uh, – you know, Red Shoes boy, show to Umino. Yeah, and Umino did uh, cut a little promo um, on Osprey. He's back in Japan right now, sent in a video to Rev Pro, and the end was hilarious. He was like, Osprey, you are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> the Impact, uh, we got a little bit of uh, Impact news here. The Good Brothers defended their Impact Tag Team titles against Finjuice. Uh, the match went to a no contest. Afterwards, ELP. Chris Bay and Hikaleo attacked all four of them. So uh, looks like the Bullet Club is not happy with the Good Brothers or Finn Juice. They're, uh, they're coming for those belts. Yeah. Um, also, Minoru Suzuki made his impact debut, teaming with Moose and W. Morrissey as they defeated the team of Josh Alexander, Matt Cardona, and Eddie Edwards. What a fucking weird year we are in. <laughs> uh, let's, make, let's make Moose and Morrissey part of Suzuki Goon. This is the strangest timeline. Uh, but yeah, this match is uh, setting up a Josh Alexander Suzuki singles match on Impact. I don't know if it's next week or two weeks, but that match is coming. That sounds awesome. Uh, so let's kick it to the last bit of questions we have here and uh, get the hell out of here. So uh, I'm going to leave it to you, Jeremy, if you want to kick those questions over. Yep. So Viking Pains is what do we have to do to get Keith Lee? to New Japan. So Keith Lee, one of the 18 wrestlers released from WWE last week. I don't know. Uh, pay him more money than AEW. Give him all sorts of special perks. I don't really know. It's, uh, he'll probably go to AEW. Yeah, I mean, AEW probably makes the most sense. I would also love another Keith Lee Ishii match, but we'll see what happens. Hawaiian Punch BV says, what do you think of the most recent WWE releases and who would you like to see compete in New Japan? I think the future matchups of Masquerade Narada versus TJP can be great. And it was the actual CWC finals on Lakabushi versus CSJ. Keith Lee and Biff Busick would be nice too. Yeah, I would like to see all three of those guys compete in New Japan. Mascara Narada was here in the past. And I mean, people kind of forget just how incredible he is. Again, I know people don't want to hear this. It sounds like they're, they might all just go to like, you know, uh, AEW or do some indies. Uh, I, I think first we need to get the, you know, travel restrictions lifted and guys able to go back and forth. But um, I, mean, I would love to. I mean, keepfully, I think it's a lock for AEW, but I could see a mascot Arata being a part of strong. I could see Lindsay Dorado, Biff Busick. I, I could see guys like that going to new japan strong first possibly yeah the only thing with mascara dorada is like they're 
uh, it seems like AEW is making the wise play of getting a lot of like luchadors and, you know, unique and fantastic ones. And, you know, if they ever want to go to Mexico and partner with AAA guys like that, I mean, they, Durat, Mascara Dorado is a great guy to have. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a play for him. Yeah. How would you uh, feel about Killer Cross in New Japan? Uh, I, I'd be fine with it. Honestly, I, I was pretty impressed with what I've seen of him before the NXT run. I know a, a lot of what happened in NXT and a lot of what happened in uh, um, the main roster was uninspiring. But, I mean, the guy has a presence and he's got uh, an incredibly legit background. And I liked what I saw of him on the indies and on some of those blood sport shows prior to joining WWE. So under the right circumstances, I'd be fine with it, but um, kind of depends on how they presented him, how they slotted him, who they matched him up with, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I haven't always been the, the big fan of Killer Cross, but I definitely think he does have a, a presence to him and could definitely be a name to look out for. I think another name that could be interesting is uh, Harry Smith. Uh, I think bring him back. Into the new Japan full. Not bringing David Boy back. I mean, why not? Because he, he was disparaging Gato in the press. No. <laughs> uh, and all besides that, maybe uh, you know Trey Baxter can come back, the former uh, Blake Christian. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. So then, uh, next question here. He asked, "Did you check out UFC 268? Chandler vs. Gaethje was crazy." Watched the show, loved the show. Watched both major combat sports shows simultaneously at one point. <laughs> and yes, Chandler versus Gaethje, crazy, crazy, crazy fucking fight. Uh, greatly outperformed my expectations. And, uh, you know, I predicted Gaethje winning, but man, Chandler fucking brought to him. I thought Chandler was going to get him out of there early. So I was like, oh God, I was wrong again. But, you know, Gaethje gutted it out. These guys are fucking animals. Yeah, I, I missed uh, UFC 268, but I did see the the highlights and clips from this Chandler Gaethje match, and it looks like it was a absolute war. This is one of those fights where those clips and stuff show you some of it, but they don't do it justice. It was an all out action fight. I'd rec. It's probably fight of the year type of uh, contender right now. I'd recommend if you didn't see the whole fight, at least go out of your way to find that one. It's only three rounds anyways. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely find that. Uh, Dark Soldier says, recently on Twitter, Orange Cassidy simply put a tweet saying, Chaos. Should Chaos allow Orange membership? Is he too dangerous for the team? Would Okada bring him in and fix his past failures as a leader? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It kind of seems like there might be some connection between Chaos and the best friends group in AEW anyway. So, you know, maybe this is just uh, orange being smart on Twitter or maybe, you know, I mean, we've seen Chucky e. T when he was a goof, but well, still is a goofball, but you know, he got brought in Colt Cabana got brought in teamed with chaos. I mean, it's been a lot of kind of weird members of chaos in the past. Uh, it'd be fine if orange Cassidy came in. I mean, there's room for, you know, comedy gimmicks here and there. Yeah, could, could be interesting. Uh, he, he also said, speaking of chaos, if Orange is allowed membership, would Trent and Chucky also be members again? And with them members again, would Chuck Taylor return to the role as the chaos mole? I don't know why you assume that they ever stopped. Mm. 
they're so they're like um Suzuki Goon, Chaos Chaos is for Life. They're like Chaos members emeritus, you know. They're like Nakamura. They're all still members, but in recess. Are are the Briscoe brothers still members of Chaos? Yeah. Okay. Of course. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why do you ask that question? I, I was just, I'm just trying to figure out who is and who is not Chaos. I haven't seen those boys in a while. They're on their chicken farm. <laughs> they're they're uh, running through GCW right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question from Rambo and Slam Pig. Not purely NJPW related, but did you see Eddie Kingston's article in the Players Tribune where your thoughts is a the changing locker room culture that's happening in Western promotions reflected in the culture of Japanese promotions, or is it still more old school? I don't know what the Players Tribune is. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so Eddie Kingston today did a. I haven't read the full thing yet, but it's a full like article just talking about his life, his past, and in wrestling. I heard it's like a, everybody's been sharing. It's an incredible like article. Um, and so I know he talked a lot about his mental health and, and depression and just uh, stuff like that. And so definitely a great article. I'm not sure where it talks about like the locker room changing because I haven't read it yet. Uh, but I also we're not we're not in Japan. I'm not sure what locker room culture is in Japan. I don't think we've really heard a lot of stories about what the locker room culture is like now, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't want to speculate. The only thing I've heard is that AEW has a fantastic uh, culture, you know, and not not that everyone's happy, but across the board, it seems to be from pe- people I've spoken to personally, and then the report's a much happier place than a lot of major, you know, backroom locker rooms have been just in general, so that's all I can really say. Don I'll Homie check. I'll check out that article. I I didn't know about it. Don Homie One Hundred One thoughts on the future of Juice Robinson and Jay White heading into twenty twenty two. And there were reports last week of Juice's contract uh, potentially being up at the end of January. I mean, provided they are both staying with the company, I don't know what their contract statuses are. I'm not even saying they're leaving or going or would be eligible to or not. Uh, at this point, I'm, I'm just like done speculating on that stuff. But uh, it, provided they, let's say they did have the opportunity to leave, they decided to stay. I'd be fine with it. But um, I think that these are both two guys that got kind of screwed a little bit because of the pandemic, and then also their choices for better or for worse to go stateside. I mean, it's not like they've been, you know, both tearing it up on the indies, you know. We don't got a lot of excursion match the year contenders from Jay White and Juice, you know, out there, you know, taking these Defy and, you know, beyond <laughs> wrestling bookings and, you know, killing it on GCW with Nick Gage. It's not like that. So um, if they're going to stay here in the States, I think they need to uh, maybe do more. Uh, not because it's like, oh, we need them to do more, but it would be better for them, for their profiles to maybe get out there and do something that's buzzworthy. And then um, if they do come back to new Japan proper, I think that the company needs to utilize them a little better. Both of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, if one of these guys was leaving next year, I would lean more towards juice Robinson. Um, You know, he's a guy I'll see you. He wants to, I think he wants to be back in the States. He has a great body. He's been in the WWE system before. His fiance is currently there. Uh, he knows how to work that style. He's good at promo. I could easily see him if they offered him a deal going back to WWE. 
um, and, and give that another try. But we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Non-New Japan question. He said, thought on the recent roster cuts that taken place at the E? Not really. It's business as usual. It's a disgusting, you know, corporate entity that, you know, did a investor's call, revealed how much money they made for the quarter, which is an astronomical amount. And then later in the day, cut a bunch of people for various different reasons. Um, I, I don't know, man. I... I Part of me feels like Vince McMahon watched Moneyball one time and got inspired to try and like redo his entire management style and his recruiting style to you know change the game. I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I mean, they they let go a, a ton of great talent, and you know that's only better for the health of the independent scene. It's great for New Japan Strong. It's great for Impact. It's great for AEW. Um, so it, it's going to help outside wrestling. Um, also very talented. Also guys, we mentioned Keith Lee, um, only Larkin, um, Graham Metellic, Lindsay Dorado. Those guys are going to do well on the outside. One thing I noticed, I was talking with, uh, Rich, what's up, Rich earlier today. And I, I don't want to go too deep into this, but you know, there was a period of time where WWE was building stars in NXT and then bringing them up to the main roster and kind of, integrating them into the uh, roster and turning them into stars, you know, for the general public. And then over the past two or probably two years, most of those call-ups that they brought up failed so much so that they fired a lot of them. And not only that, but like the, the next crop of guys that were supposed to be on their way up from NXT, those guys are gone too. And the guys that are kind of remaining. There's reports of a lot of them, considering their options when their contracts are about to come up. And then you kind of consider the fact that they have all these young unproven athletes that they've kind of brought in as part of developmental with NXT. It's like, where's the next crop of stars coming from for this company? You know, they don't have it. I mean, you look at the way they're booking Roman and some of their other guys, like they don't have a lot of guys on, on, deck waiting to either get beat or to replace the stars that they do have. I mean, look at the guys that they're pushing at the top outside of Roman Reigns, you know, Big E, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley. There's nothing wrong with that, but dude, those are all guys that they had seven, eight, nine years ago, maybe longer that they didn't utilize right the first time. And they're just now after years and years and years, finally getting around to actually using them. Right. Right. I don't know, man. That company managed so poorly. Like the only the only thing I will say that might change is in the future when they sign. Like, let's say if they, I'm not saying this would happen. Let's say they sign, say an MJF. He's not going to NXT. NXT is probably going to be literally an actual developmental now. And you'll see guys from the outside that are actual stars just come straight over to the main roster because it's pretty obvious they're not going to have a lot of homegrown guys coming from NXT anymore. You know, or not that they ever did, but even like. They're not going to hoard indie guys and keep them down there and prep them to come up because that, that whole thing's gone. So, I don't know. It's fucking weird. Right. I mean, I think that our only hope right now is Braun Breaker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, he said, time for some fight talk. Thoughts on my man Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare Usman, giving Kobe bitch-ass coveting another L at UFC 268. Can Usman break GSP's record for title defenses in welterweight? Yeah, I think he could definitely do that. Um Usman's just gotten better time and time again. Every single fight, he just looks more and more adept. 
Uh, I thought he was going to get Covington out of there early and Covington um, really showed some heart, especially after almost getting stopped in the third round and then came back. And I thought he won, you know, maybe won those last two rounds. They were very close. And uh, to me, I had the fight three to two for Usman. So, I mean, yeah, he beat Covington, but man, can Covington can fucking fight his ass off, dude. He's like the only guy in recent years that's even really given um, Usman serious problems like that. Uh, so, yeah, but Usman's special. He's very, very special and provided his knees and his back and his neck hold up. Yeah, I think he could be uh, GSP's record for sure. Great, great fight. Then his last question here. Any thoughts on the recent bout that took place between Saul Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Sweethands Plant? What should be next for both fighters? Is value is there value in a rematch in the possible future? Yeah, I watched uh, some uh, highlight video, or not highlight videos, but uh, I went through and watched um, some of Caleb Plant's fights and st- study his style a little bit more and some of the nuances, things he does. And pretty impressed. But the one thing I noticed here, Canelo, such a you know, in recent years has gone from just being one type of Mexican style fighter, you know, boxer puncher to really developing a serious defensive game with the shoulder rolls, head movement, and, you know, everything like that. I mean, this guy's been the total package the last few years. And I think Caleb Plant got under his skin. And I think he went out there fighting mad because he abandoned all of that. And he was just literally winging, hooks and uppercuts and overhands and was trying his hardest to fuck up Caleb Plant. And Caleb Plant really, really impressed me. I thought Billy Joe Saunders did well against Canelo, but I thought Caleb Plant did even better. And I can't think of too many bigger guys, 168, that have successfully employed that uh, Philly Shell defense the way Floyd Mayweather does. And he did it crisp, crisp as fuck, man. I mean, he was making Canelo miss a lot and countering Canelo a lot and landing some big, big shots. And Canelo was not trying to avoid that stuff. He was eating it up and just coming forward. The The fight was a, a game of chess, cat and mouse. Very, very, very good fight. The one problem I, I noticed with Caleb was when he got backed against the corner or he got himself trapped in the, in, in the, uh, against the ropes or in the corner he would just plant himself and uh, basically depend on his, um, you know, rolling and on his, uh, you know, catching the punches and everything like that with that Philly shell. And he wasn't focusing enough on countering and getting out of there or even tying up Canelo. And uh, that was his undoing because even though he was so successful, I was like, man, eventually one of these times this guy's going to catch him and he's got, you know, thunder in his fists and, for 10 rounds, he was fine. In that 11th round, he fucking caught him. <laughs> Got him out of there. Uh, great fight. Great fight. I think Caleb Plant, I might have underestimated him a bit because I was thinking, you know, going into this fight, I was like, dude, Danny Jacobs probably beats him. I was like, Billy Joe Saunders probably beats him. Uh, I felt like Callum Smith might might beat him. I thought he was like maybe the fourth or fifth best guy at the weight division. And uh, he, he really showed that he is a special, special fighter. Um guy's got balls and uh canelo uh i think people need to start having a conversation about canelo being one of the top all-time greatest mexican fighters he's up there with carlos zarate 
He's up there with JCC. He's up there with Juan Manuel Marquez. Uh, he's up there with Salvador Sanchez and he's making history. And, you know, you can talk about JCC all you want, but go look at his record. Go look at the guys he fought. Go look at Canelo Alvarez's last 15 fights. I think he's fought like 20 something champions at this point. You know, the guy's a, nat- a natural 160 pounder and he's fighting 168, 175 pound guys. Like, come on. Uh, it's kind of bullshit. JCC, go look at JCC's uh, record. And you tell me how many world champions he actually fought and how many of them were elite. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't care about the fact that he had over 100 fights. Like, he fought his record's so padded. I know it's sacrilegious to, to say all this, but it's true, man. It's true. Like, his record's not as good. JCC, Julio Cesar Chavez, senior, his record is not as good as Canelo Alvarez's, period. I don't care. That man got the uh, the AEW dark uh, padding going on. Yeah, yeah, he does, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and he's an all-time legend, and I'm not saying he's not. I'm not trying to discount him in that regard, but I, I don't know, man. Look at what Canelo's done. Look at the Triple G fights. Look at all the – look at him cleared it, clearing out this division, going up to 175 and knocking out a circuit. Kovalev, come on, bro. Like, this is crazy. You know, Miguel Cotto, 160, come on. Anyways, um, as far as what's next for them, I don't know. I think uh, Canelo's talking about fighting um, – I always forget the guy's name. Sergey, whatever his name is, the uh, – the light, the, he's the light heavyweight champion right now. He's fucking scary, and I don't think Canelo should fight him. I think he is too big for him, and I think he probably would hurt Canelo. Um, that's too much of a task, but uh, the Triple G fight's on deck. Um, there's also the Jamel Charlo fight is on deck. I think one of those two fights would probably be interesting. Um, as far as Caleb Plant, I don't know. I think he goes back and rebuilds, and you know, some of those fights I mentioned uh, could be interesting. Saunders, you know, Danny Jacobs, I don't know. Nice. Well, last thing that we have here, recommended match of the week. We took last week off. Young boy, do you have a recommended match for us for this week? Yeah, you know, I just was like, you know, do I want to make it something like post G1 themed or do I want to make it power struggle themed or you know world tag league or super juniors and I was like fuck all that let's just pick one that I just really 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 fucking like and so I have gone with the classic from October 9th 2000 this was the Tokyo Sports Award winner for uh, wrestling match of the year as the IWGP champion Kensuke Sasaki takes on Toshiaki Kawada in a non-title singles match, special inter-promotional match, All Japan Pro Wrestling versus New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, I know I've shown you, I believe, the rematch. Yeah. But this is the first ever meeting between these two guys in 2000, and it's generally considered the better match, like um, probably the New Japan match of the year for the year 2000. And it's a fucking killer. And yeah. Uh, it's from Doe Judge, um, Tokyo Dome, 64,000 screaming fans. Like, let's do it. It's on World? It's on World. Kawada, Kawada Sasaki from 2000. Nice. Well, looking forward to checking that out. 
And that's going to wrap up everything here for us this week on Keeping It Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to review Battle in the Valley and review the first couple nights of Best of the Super Junior and World Tag League. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network at Social Suplex. I am at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Constantly Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. Reddit, I am the pro black guy. I'm just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out our YouTube channel, Social Suplex Podcast Network. Check out the Discord links for that is in the show notes check out all the other shows that we have here on the social suplex podcast network one nation radio hosted by rich latta and james boy the grave consequences podcast with caleb and maserati all things elite with floyd and austin and starting this friday the debut of the aw match guide podcast hosted by sir sam Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy. Bye. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.